Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. He's back. He is back in the building. Yes, the one co-host who has held it down admirably in the two-week absence of the guy next to him. Brian Campbell, the beige bastard. Yes, he's back at it. But of course, no, for real. I am pumping up the return of the one and only from Columbia with love. Morning Combat, of course, is back at it. But I know what you're tuning in for. You know, like, hey, that BC cat, he may have won me over more than I thought, but he ain't LT. He ain't that gruff, bearded, bastard. He ain't the best <laughs> MMA non-fighting fight analyst in the game today. So today, Friday, January, February 4th, 2022, one of those months, Morning Combat, the award-winning show is back, and so is Luke frickin' Thomas. LT, brother, I know you had a travel day from heck yesterday, but great to see you back on the light side of the force. Is that, I'm happy. That, yeah, that well. Not, is that, a, that's patriotically racist? I'm not sure, but, but welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Either way, I know you meant well. It is good to be home. I am glad to be home. It was a wonderful vacation by and large and uh, refreshing, but I missed the show. I missed everyone here. I am happy to be back in the swing of things and I'm ready to attack the day, good sir. So I hear, I hear though, BC, I got to tell you, I got a few emails, a couple DMs, a couple tweets being like, dude, BC consistently savages you on the air. Now, I, I purposely did not double check that in the interest of just letting you have your fun. But I want you to know we got snitches out there and they were telling on your ass. Yeah, well, where I come from, Luke, uh, you know, snitches get stitches. But uh, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, luckily, you look like you're having such a great time in the pictures that you didn't consume any of the hours upon hours of Luke slander heavy content that I delivered. <laughs> Either solo with the great Chuck Mindenhall, Shaq yes. Majori slid in for a, a great performance as well. But you know what ain't MK? Even with respect to Chuck, who's a, a you know a hero, we're, we're equal. We're equals, right? We love that man, and, and definitely have a lot of love for Shaq helping us out. It ain't MK unless it's these two pasty old dads, Luke. So welcome back, please. Um, I want to hear about it. It's actually I told look I told our producer Mike I go you know we'll get into UFC Fight Night, but I gotta hear about this trip. I got to hear about how fired up Luke is going to come back and change the combat sporting world, you know, coming up. So we'll get into that. But Luke, welcome back. Please like this video. Subscribe to what we do here on MK, not just your three live shows, your post fight 
instant analysis, which Luke plans on delivering Saturday night after yep. UFC fight night. Uh, fantastic middleweight main event. Maybe I'll do the same following Thurman Berrios. Who knows? We're bringing it. Ooh. Also, folks, um, great interviews you can consume right now. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat from Keith Thurman, who headlines this Saturday's boxing pay-per-view, to Robert Whitaker, who I just sat down with yesterday and talked uh, talked to, talked about witches' tits and, uh, and, and you know, <laughs> fighter pay and all those great topics. Yeah, he so, he uh, loved talking about fighter pay with you. That seemed to be his favorite thing. <laughs> I love everybody in the comments were like, oh, I can't wait to see if this is better than that debacle Luke endured last year. But uh, it was maybe a, li- maybe a little bit better, but not by much. Yeah. Okay. Well, in fairness, he could have taken a shit in his hand and thrown it at the screen and it would have been better than our conversation. But uh, yes, he did not want to talk about fighter break, which on some level you get, right? I mean, he's right. just like, fuck all that. I want to focus on Israel Adesanya, but it was funny as shit. He was like, I'm not doing this with you. you know? I-, I-, I remember interviewing Curtis Blades before... Uh... It was the Volkov fight, and I remember in my interview with him, he was very aggressively against the UFC and fighter pain. I think that really set him back for a bit. Dana took a bunch of doogies on him uh, in the immediate aftermath. So, no, Robert Whitaker's not going to do that a day, you know, days before his big title rematch, the biggest fight of his life. But very interesting, just the same. Encourage you to check out uh, those chats. And um, how about Showtime.com? How about 30 days free to get fired up for Bellator, Championship Boxing, Showbox with your boy BC in a couple weeks from now, February 18th. Uh, go there, Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. You like it, you love it, you pound sand. That's, you know, that's how that life cycle works. Great, great network, though. Great people there. Boy, do they have some fun events planned for this year. So so you better get on board with the 30-day free right now. Uh, anything else, Luke? What am I for? Oh, Combat Sports Awards. You know that we are the, uh, the best MMA programmers of 2021, according to Fighters Only Magazine, World MMA Awards. Well, how about sportspodcastawards.com? They said, hey, these guys might be the best combat sports podcast altogether. We're talking about boxing, MMA, kickboxing, pillow fighting, bare knuckle bonanzas. Uh, head on over to sportspodcastawards.com. And if you believe we are of that ilk, vote for us. And CBS Sports has dangled that carrot. That is, if we can win this award. Why not go to McGregor, Las Vegas, International Fight Week, UFC this July? Why not sweat your balls off in 120-degree weather? And why not do a live show for the people, okay? So, hey, you know, it's up to you, all right? Rock the vote here, okay? As, you know, do I need P. Diddy or Don Henley to tell me how to vote? No, I don't, Luke, okay? Vote or die. Luke, not voting is a vote, just so people know that, okay? I did vote for Nader twice. Thank you. I may be the only living American that voted for Ralph Nader in two different presidential elections. I actually respect that about you. I'm glad you voted for him. That's good. Thank you. It's one of the rare things you can pull out these days. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, you can pull out some things, Luke. All right. Uh, that's the crap. We're going to get into a lot this to set up the stage for this weekend. Boxing, MMA, UFC, all, all the good stuff is back. So uh, get ready. Buckle up. We're going to have a little bit of fun as well with Luke to just get his takes on the biggest topics from the Washington football team name change to uh, everything going on in, in boxing and MMA while he was gone. We'll talk about the new Doc Doc 6, which is out there, which is changing people's lives left and right. But let's start off the top. Topic one on this Friday, as Morning Combat always tackles the biggest and most necessary stories. Luke's 47-day trip to Columbia. Luke, as we set off the top, you're back. But, you know, we care. It's a Luke, you have to admit, it's a family of weirdos that we've created here, a, a dysfunctional family of people that really care about you. So, Luke, why don't you take your tan and and uh, and your jaded new tattoo spot, right? You can't show it to us yet until it heals. 
the absolute yes. dirt hole. Why don't you yeah. tell us how this trip went? Because it seems like it changed you. Yeah, it was really good. I we hadn't. I mean, you know, a lot of Americans don't have uh, uh, vacations because of the pandemic. I hadn't had one since 2019. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit overdone and needed, well, we went to Florida, but that wasn't a vacation because it was last minute. It was really just for my daughter. But, um, but, you know, as a family, we got to go. I got to relax. It was great, dude. I was really worried about Colombia because of the pandemic, especially Cartagena, which is extremely tourism-based for its economy. And, you know, like a lot of places here in the States, crime is up. Uh, you see a lot of for sale, for rent signs on commercial property. However, all that being said... It does appear that like the place has both cities that I was in um, had rebounded to a pretty significant degree. Got to see a lot of family, but it was it had its own challenges too. Like, dude, it was really weird. I've been to Bogota many times, and if you ever seen like uh, who was the, what was the Brad Pitt? Um, it was um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. If you watch that movie, it's like it starts out they're like in Bogota, Colombia, and there's fucking palm trees and heat, which just tells you they didn't do a. F- any homework Bogota is 9,000 feet in the air it's cold it's not in any way tropical and uh, as a consequence when I got there dude I had really bad altitude sickness which I'd never had before not in the sense of like headache and stomach I couldn't eat I couldn't eat a thing for four days dude I basically fasted for four days and every time someone would try to give me anything to eat it was like nauseating to even look at um, which was really weird. So now, was that a commentary on their cooking, Luke, or is that more about how you felt? No, dude, it's called soroche. It's that when you get altitude sickness, <laughs> it can affect you a lot of different ways. You can lose sleep. You can do a lot of things. One thing that can happen to you is you can just lose your appetite. So I didn't eat the entire time I was in Bogota, Colombia, which was really weird. But um, I got to see a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of cool new neighborhoods. They fixed a lot. I, I, people tell me like. You know, all Colombia's got run down from the pandemic. I, I didn't see a lot of evidence of that when I was there. And then we went to Cartagena, dude. My daughter just came to life. It's a beach city. It's a 17th century Spanish uh, former slave colony. And now it's got this brilliant old walled city and this beautiful neighborhood that called Hetzamani, which is you know amazing to see. We stayed in the nice beach area called Boca Grande. And um, it was awesome. Dude, also, my Spanish got a lot better. I, I was testing it out, and I, had, it would, I didn't hardly have any problems. I was for the first time ever. Um, so it was good, man. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, which was fucking hilarious because we landed in Miami yesterday. My wife was asking for a coffee, and there actually is a Juan Valdez key, or a, you know, a store in one of the, in the D uh, terminal we were in. And just on autopilot, they were asking, like, you know, uh, I, I was telling them I wanted the drink to go, so para llevar. And... She looked at me like I had asked for like, you know, uh, you know, hey, do you have any shit flavored toothpaste I can borrow or something? Like she just gave me the weirdest fucking look. But in Colombia, I mean, it's like it's never an issue. So um, long story short is that it was one of the better vacations I've ever had and I needed it and I feel fucking great. And I'm dude, I'm so ready for the fights tomorrow. There will be a post fight show and, and I'm glad to be back. Well, we're getting into the, the preview to break things down. So all you people that are hating already on us, uh, I enjoy. Look at the cheese on that shit. Look at that shit, Luke. Give that to me. Wow. Yeah, go go back to that real quick. Whoever's running the slides, go back to that real quick. So this they have this um, they have this burger chain. People are like, oh, you're going to fucking Colombia and eating burgers, dude. Colombia is a burger heaven. If you're a burger person, you have to try them. They're different. They're better. They're excellent. This one's called the Costeña, and you can see it's got this uh, different kind of cheese plus what their their version of like sour cream called suero. And then they've got fried plantain chips in the middle. It is fucking heaven. It is unbelievable. 
So, so yes, I did eat some burgers in Colombia because if you don't, you're a fucking idiot. That's why. Wow, that I'm reacting to that cheese as you were probably reacting to the in-person BBLage in that country over the last. Oh my, 40 dude, years. I had to, dude, I had, my wife will never see this, so I don't have to apologize for this. You have to get, I had to get sunglasses because of all the BBLs in my face. You know what I'm saying? Like, just so I don't get caught looking and gawking like I'm, I've seen an accident on the highway and I'm yeah. fucking yeah. rubbernecking. Yeah. You know, I was like, holy shit balls, man. Yeah. It was wild. My wife was yeah. like, why are you buying sunglasses from street vendors? I'm like, so you won't divorce me. That's why. <laughs> wow. All right, Luke. That's great stuff. Did, were you called Oh, wait, 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 wait. Last one. Last one. So like you, I had to buy a dad hat on vacation, right? Because I was getting, because, you know, it's thinning up top and that dude, that Cartagena sun. Let me tell you something, dude. That Caribbean sun will fucking cook you like bacon grease, okay? It is unbelievable how hot it is there. So I had to get a hat, and, you know, all these street vendors don't have shit. So I was like, you know what? I need to go to, like, a specialty hat store. So I ended up having to get, uh, like, a, it's a fitted. It's a fitted New York Yankees hat, right? So it's oh, a New York... What do you, what do you, what do you... Dark okay, side here's, Fred Durst here? What is no, going on? No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't believe me. I didn't want to get this. I did not buy this, whatever. But here, I'll even show it to you because I'm so fucking embarrassed. The lady was like, I was like, I was trying to explain to her I have a big ass head, right? And she was like, she didn't believe me. So she was pulling out like the seven inch fitted and it didn't work. And then she goes like seven and a quarter. I'm like, lady, this is not going to work. You have to go get something bigger. So she's like, I have to go to the back and see what we have. I said, fine, go. She came back and she's like, Basically, we have seven and three quarters. And she goes, she's like, she's like, cabeza grandote, like big ass fucking heads, right? And I put it on and it fit like a charm. And she laughed. She literally laughed as I put it on. She's like, holy shit. You're Look, fucking you want to know enormous. why she laughed? Because they huh. didn't pull that from inventory. They pulled that off the head of the fat guy in the back who stitches it together, who, like, <laughs> farts in it all day. Look, there's no question. I can't believe you brought, like, a, yeah, I mean, that's like. Like like a Fred Durst pink Yankees hat or something. From yeah, the late it's 90s. terrible. I mean, it's terrible. On, but I, dude, it's terrible. But I had to get it. I was getting cooked alive. Wow. All right. Um. Oh, were you upset when you found out that I petitioned to Viacom CBS about changing the rule about the ex extension of vacations beyond seven days? Wait, what's the rule? <laughs> Apparently, we don't have one, Luke. You've been gone oh, for yeah. you've been gone for a half moon. All right, but uh, it was great. It's great to have you back, Luke. I'm ready to. Take over Let's and do dominate it. along with you, arm in arm, or maybe by sword against one another. Either way, we'll get there. All right. Uh... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're looking for uh, more on Dad Hats, how about morningcombat.store? Forgot to plug that earlier, but you can buy this great piece of business right there. Today is the final day of our sale on hoodies, drug rugs, anything with a hood. 
15% off morningcombat.store using our code hoodie15, H-O-O-D-I-E-1-5. Uh, they're moving. Luke, I, I, you heard this morning when when Ray, Raymond, is that you, Raymond? When when RJ was here and uh, he said 4-3 uh, order on drug rugs. It just, I mean, come on, Luke. You know? Nueva Jork. Huh? <laughs> Nueva Jork. Yeah, yeah, all right. There we go. Okay, you're here really to find out uh, who's going to win. This middleweight main event Saturday night, it goes down in Vegas. It's a hell of a top 10 matchup here as Jack Hermanson and Sean Strickland do battle uh, for really high-level positioning to, to be inserted directly, most likely, into the into the larger con, you know title conversation. Uh, this is an important time right now, and this is an important fight. Luke, I broke down the storylines on Wednesday, but... Um, Saving for a second the X's and O's, what do you love about this matchup uh, in terms of the stakes, in terms of the personalities involved heading into Saturday night? Well, Sean Strickland is a proper weirdo, which is always kind of entertaining. But I think more than that, I, he really has come a long way. I think when he fought Kamaru Usman, I, I maybe was at that one. I was at one of his fights where I saw him struggle a little bit. You, you could see there was flashes of ability. You could see that... He was, you know, he's never out of shape. It's nothing like that. You just, he hadn't quite fully matured his skill set to the point where he could really leverage it against top talent. And I think he's turned that corner. I really do. Now, how far he can go, obviously, this fight is sort of determinative to an extent of that. But he's really coming to his own. As, as I think what has helped him a lot is not just getting better, but understanding what makes him work. Right, he's a volume striker. He puts a pace on you to a degree. He will trade with you. He is durable, and I think his takedown defense has come a really long way as well. Not that it was ever poor, but now it's much sturdier, which brings life to his Bro, offense. It's so eighty-two percent the takedown defense of Sean. Strickland. Yeah, I don't think he's given him. In fact, I think the numbers are he hasn't given up a takedown in his last seven fights. Like he's really gotten and I quite think Luke, go quite good. To at interrupt that. you about when he fought Usman. I think Usman was only like two of eight in takedown attempts against. That's right. That's right. Now, the the, the 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 other part of that story is that Usman kind of stalled him out. Where yes, he only got two of the takedowns, but Strickland was on the defense for so long that you know it almost didn't matter to a degree. He just never got out of first or second gear because Usman's obviously you know very difficult to to, to handle. But I'm just sort of pointing out to me, it's a guy who has sort of dialed into himself, understands who he is, understand what makes him work has really kind of worked on that particular portion of his game, and the fruits of that have, have begun to bore out. This is a very unique challenge because of who Jack Hermanson is, and, the, and again, his own unique threats. He is a professional fighter as well, but I just feel like Sean Strickland, people want to make it to, about the crazy-ass things he says in the media, and certainly that does help him, but it's kind of like Colby. Not that he is uh, as reviled, but Colby makes a lot of headlines for saying incendiary shit, but the reality is you cannot lose sight of the fact that whatever else he says... By the time he gets in there, he is a very skilled operator who deserves to be taken seriously. And Sean Strickland, I think, has filled that role as well. Well, look, there's levels to this incendiary shit that people can say, and there's different silos in what they fit in. Colby's is one flavor. The shit Sean Strickland says is another, not just, you know, wanting to catch a body in there, which we've heard controversially before in combat sports, Deontay Wilder, others. But uh, I think we've got a tweet or a screenshot of a tweet to throw to uh, Strickland's been been pulling out all the all the uh, all his weird tips this week, Luke, and rubbing them in people's faces. Uh, Sally, do we have this? It's uh, Staten Island Sally today on the ones and twos. 
A big fan here. Let me read this. Let me read yeah. this. Strickland on why Holland doesn't like him. I think I told him I could rape him in prison one day, and it bothered him. <laughs> but I'm just stating the <laughs> Can you imagine that? Hey, dude, I could rape you in prison. <laughs> it really stuck with him. Yes, yeah, Sean, it might. Uh, but I'm just stating the facts, dude. I'm just stating the fuck. I like how he's like stating it like, hey, man, I just told him it was raining. Don't blame me for the weather. You know what I mean? Like, if me and you were in a jail cell together and I wanted to, like, I could take that ass. Yeah, dude, I could imagine that might stick with him a fucking bit. Dude, this is like the guy at the bus stop. Imagine the guy at the bus stop could beat your fucking ass. That's Sean Strickland, you know? He's acting like Nate, nasty Nate from the jail scene in Half Baked Luke. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Um, so that's, uh, so Luke. Quickly on, they were quick fans. We're going to get into the, the X's and O's. But, like, is this a character that can work? Just, like, it's not just crazy, goofy, fun guy. It's, like, crazy, sick guy. Are we aiding and abetting in him eventually committing a foul crime? Now, I know that that might seem, you know, harsh. And a lot of people are going, dude, he's obviously playing a character. But it's, it's, it's weird and gross nonetheless, Luke. Here's the thing. It's like... You have to ask yourself about some of these dudes. Again, first of all, this could be a very well-manicured act. Never lose sight of that. Or it could be a little bit of him just kind of dialed up. So always, always keep that in mind. Like, these fighters who make headlines for saying incendiary things, they have to know some of that is, on their part, a little bit manipulative. Um, which, again, for and I don't mean in a dishonest way to in that sense, but just to get more attention. What I will say is, though... At some point, if you've been doing this long enough, BC, and I think you'll agree, there are people who want to say that when you have fighters who say the kinds of things that Sean Strickland says, that you're like, oh, MMA is just enabling him. And I would argue that if those sentiments are genuine, I would actually argue it's the opposite. I would argue that to an extent, MMA is actually civilizing him. Uh, it is keeping him away from the kinds of other impulses or activities he would otherwise be dragged into. There's a lot of people in the world of boxing where if it wasn't for boxing, they'd probably end up fucking stealing car stereos and other shit too. Why would MMA be any different in that sense? So it's hard to know. I've actually never asked um, Eric Nixick, who I have a good relationship with, about it. I feel like I, it's time to be like, hey, man, what's the <laughs> what's the story? Because Eric Nixick is as normal a family man-centered, talented and, you know, he, he loves the guy, so there must be something to it, right? There must be some other thing we don't understand. Well, I would, if I were you, I would DM Nixick, not set it up like, like this part of our show, and just be like, bro, do you know if, uh, I mean, Sean Strickland never been over your house? And if he says yes, Luke, then it's an act, right? Oh, I see, because that's where his kids are and his wife. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, we'll see what's up. I don't know what the story is, but in whatever the case, here's what I'll say. Don't lose sight of the fact that he's actually a rational operator when it comes to yeah, the craft great. of fighting. Or he's very good. Look, he's a very good-ass fighter, and this is a big-ass fight, which has, you know, number five versus number seven at middleweight. I, I can't wait for this. And, and they can't, their styles contrast perfectly, Luke. They do. They do. So for me, uh, I, I thought Richard Mann, who I always shout out, he works for 327, formerly known as Fight Metric, and he looked into the numbers. The numbers are pretty clear about this, which you basically have as a scenario where if you look at Jack Hermanson and the numbers he has for significant strikes versus Sean Strickland, Strickland does better, but they're, you know, they're semi-comparable. However, when you focus in on the detail that the significant strikes that make up a portion, a, a, a significant bulk really, of Hermanson's significant strikes. They are significant strikes from grounded 
positions. It's ground and pound. Nothing wrong with that, but that takes what he does at distance on the feet to a much lower level. I think, in fact, you saw evidence of that played out in the Marvin Vittori fight when he couldn't really get the takedown. He kind of had to exchange with the guy at range, and I thought Vittori, frankly, did the better work there by, by a considerable margin. Well, if Vittori, who, yes, is a different kind of fighter, a different kind of athlete, uh, obviously, um, but if Sean Strickland can kind of map along that game plan, we know from the numbers at distance, dude, listen to some of these numbers. I've got this for here, the, the, the breakdown. Jack, Sean Strickland lands five and a half strikes per minute and, and absorbs a fair bit, three and, and three quarters, but he still has a pretty high 1.7 positive differential for ranked fighters. That's that's in the upper tier of any ranked fighter in the weight in, in, in any of the weight classes. So the real key challenge for Jack Hermanson is going to be, I don't think striking a distance better, although he does probably want to do that. To me, BC, this is takedown or bust, man. If he cannot get that takedown, it seems like a largely unwinnable affair. I was going to ask you that same question because that seems to be the the way this is breaking down. And, and, you know, you watch recent tape on Strickland. I mean, he is so pinpoint accurate in the way he sets up his boxing. Like, he, you know, he'll stand at close range, he'll endure and absorb, but it's that steady flow of short, hard, heavy shot. Look, he has a way of adding some pepper onto some arm punches and just, you know, zeroing in, whether it's your nose or whatever, and just putting that mental pressure of the fact that he's not going away, but he also hits thuddingly hard and it adds up over time. So if Hermanson can't take him down, it's going to be an uphill battle. So my real question is this. Let me first lay down the odds here. Uh, as we speak, DraftKings has Strickland a minus 225 favorite. Hermanson mm -hmm. plus 185 seems about right. Not just if he can't take him down, meaning Hermanson, this is a, this is a tough fight for him. How about this, Luke? We, we've seen from Strickland the five-round stamina that he showed against Uriah Hall, so it doesn't seem to be a, a, a potential pothole there. We love his striking on the feet. We love his takedown defense. How is his offensive wrestling and or grappling should Hermanson be able to take him down on a somewhat consistent basis? I would, I, I would say this. If Hermanson is getting him down on a consistent basis, now when you ask that, let me let me let me let me double down on this because we just talked about a certain portion of the game that's going to be really relevant. Do you imagine a scenario where if I told you, like I'm from the future, and I told you Jack Hermanson is going to get a few takedowns in this fight, do you think that that will necessarily correspond to ground and pound or? What I am imagining is, I actually wouldn't be surprised if he gets him down, but I think a guy like Strickland's not going to play a guard game or any of that shit. Yes. I think he's going to be squirmy underneath. He's going to make control active uh, as part of what Hermanson is doing, and I think you know ultimately resisting to the point where Hermanson's going to be in these situations where like, oh, I got two, three takedowns, but yeah, dude, what'd you do with it? I think Strickland is going to be really good at negating some of that secondary portion, if not the first. Uh, and by the way, he might stuff the first portion too, but that second one I think is really going to be key. This is not Edmund Shabazian who's going to be a little bit lost here. Dude, uh, the other point is, you know, Sean Strickland's had how many UFC fights? Like double digit at this point? Like he's been around. He kind of understands what the the larger metagame is and what he has to do to get there. He's He is appropriately sized. Although it should be noted, Hermanson does seem pretty fucking strong for the weight class. Um, that could play a factor if it goes late or if some kind of injury re reveal, uh, reveres itself. But what I'm imagining is negating it on the ground and eventually working himself back to the feet. The control time, that's what you want to look for. Yeah. How much time, like Nganu versus Gone, does he spend in a dominant position? That's going to really be what decides that. Do you see um, a lot of Bizping's game 
in what Sean Strickland does well. Yes. Also, you know, taunts of rape. Uh, I don't think this. Yeah, I mean, you know, outside, outside of the rapey vibes. Look, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little bit. A little bit. I, I think it's. I think it's a pretty good comparison. You know, more like a boxer semi kickboxer defensive wrestler type put some volume on you maybe not like the most dominant puncher in the weight class but the overall accumulation ends up rearranging people's faces just the same that's not a bad vibe at all I would say he's a little bit more in the pocket best being a little more stick and move-ish um but we'll have to see we'll have to see exactly right, how he does I think also by the way I will say this if Strickland if you see Hermanson not just failing on the takedown but circling on the outside with Strickland holding center, that's a really bad space for Hermanson to be. No question about that. Let's stay on Hermanson. 33 years old, uh, kind of up and down of late, you know, meaning that we lost, we've seen him lost to Jared Cannonier and Marvin Vittori, but then we've seen him quickly tap Kelvin Gaslam. We've seen him expose and, and you know, sort of dominate Edmund Shabazian. Uh, got a nice victory over Jacare by decision there, David Branch. I mean, he's done some things. Luke, we must have an. Uh, we either have an inordinate amount of Jack Hermanson European-based super fans in our larger MK family, or maybe I'm just out to lunch and don't realize this, but there's a lot of people saying, no, BC, uh, hold your day one-ish. I just started watching MMA last year. Takes for a second. Uh, Hermanson's got the brighter future than Sean Strickland. Hermanson's got the Ooh. experience. He's got this. He's got that. So, Luke, are we missing that, or is it still in line with the way this – you know, styles make fights. If Jack Romanson can control the terms of this, yeah, absolutely. The odds are close for a reason. He's in this fight. But obviously the question is, Luke, what happens if he can't take Strickland down? Are we missing something that we're not seeing on tape here from from um, Jack Romanson that's saying, um, okay, slight underdog, but he can win this in a few different ways? Um, Yeah, listen, maybe. I would say that there have been times, I don't want to speak for you or anybody else, but for me, there have been times where I have, uh, in my own, let's, let's talk about my own blind spots. One of my blind spots historically, and I'm aware of it in the sense that uh, I, I might still make the mistake, but I know it's a problem that I have. I've been a little bit harsh on certain European prospects that ended up being a lot better than I thought they would be. There, It is true a lot of European prospects, at least from the 2011s on, I, you know, we're overhyped in my view. Conor McGregor, not that case, but there were a lot of other ones that didn't quite get out. And but that's yeah, unfair. You're, you're not a you're not a huge Patty Pimblet fan. Let's be fair. Luke. No, no, I, I, it's not that. I don't in any way people. I don't in any way dislike him. I don't know him to dislike him. I think that there's a lot of hype around him that that his abilities somewhat justify, but not at the current moment. I think he can grow into where people think he is. I don't think he's there yet. That's all. I mean, I, Dar all I Darren mean. Till didn't didn't reach. I mean, there's still time, but Darren Till didn't reach the the noise that was following him in. Yeah, a lot of what happens is that in that post-Michael Bisping era, a lot of the media and the fans were groping for the who's next kind of guy. And then, especially in that middleweight division, it kind of, well, he was welterweight at the time, but you get the idea where you're looking for who's going to fill that role. So that, that was part of it. I, I will say about Jack Hermanson, he is strong as shit. He's a very good grappler. And there's a couple things, like when Gon, for example, against Ngannou was trying to go for the heel hook, he wasn't reaping the knee. A reaping the knee would mean if I have one of your legs, my outside leg just fully comes over and turns your knee sort of, let's say, uh, inward, uh, which you cannot do in, in, for example, IBJJF competitions. But in MMA, they don't give a shit. You can reap the knee all you want. He didn't do it. Well, motherfucker, go watch that Kelvin Gastelum fight, dude. He has horsepower and torque and a little bit of evil intentions. And any mistake that Sean Strickland makes – 
dude, Jack Hermanson will be on his ass about it. The thing is, when you go to the Cannoneer fight, look at how systematically Cannoneer was able to break grips, uh, create asymmetry and control positions, and get away. I do think that Cannoneer is probably a more athletic, dynamic scrambler than Sean Strickland, but there was a bit of a blueprint laid there that I think that someone as talented and as experienced as Sean Strickland can probably follow. Hermanson has the better experience against bigger names. Doesn't have a ton of five-round experience, though. So he's gone that full distance twice, getting a decision win and the decision loss to Vittori there. Uh, I mentioned Sean Strickland went the full five his last time out against Uriah Hall and, and absolutely dominated that. This one more likely to go the distance or not in your eyes, Luke? Strickland's average fight time is 13 minutes. That's fairly long for an elite fighter who is a striker. That's not... Usually you have him in the 10 or under range, which tells you he kind of takes his time. He really works on it. You know, he, he I, I, some, one of the things I like about Sean Strickland is when he needs to be a combination puncher and striker, he can be. However, when he needs to pot shot you and really stick a fucking mean jab in your face. He, by the way, we haven't talked about this either. Sean Strickland with that jab, he is great at rhythm disruption, which I think is going to be key against a guy like Jack Hermanson. Never letting him get set, never letting him get comfortable, constantly on the defensive, constantly having to reset, rethink, retool. Sean Strickland's really good at that. And he's also, dude, a little sadistic. Like, it does actually show up a little bit in his fight style. He likes to demean the opponent, at least in the middle of the octagon. I think afterwards he actually tends to be a pretty good professional about it. But, you know, in competition, dude, it's fucking mean business, and he he He's is kind of nasty with it, yeah. Yeah, and, and look, it's you, you end up loving those guys in the long run, that fight with that type of just, I don't give a shit. Like, you know, this this is competition, but this is a fucking fight at the end of the day, Luke. So I, I'm, right. I'm here for that. Um, Okay, this effing fight, Luke. Um. I like a lot of reasons why Strickland will win this and maybe should win this, but there's so much potential for this to be a back and forth, uh, adjustment heavy, you know, real five round fight to tell us who's really ready for that upper window. And, you know, this is five versus seven, and there's three other potential matchups in the top six of guys that are going to be fighting each other soon. So this feels like, you know, a mini tournament here where. The winner is going to go far. So if Sean Strickland's going to be the winner, Luke, and, I, and I'll predict that he will be, I think he's going to have to go five. But I think, Luke, what I want to see if that prediction comes true is him, like we talked about, on his back where it's not just quick reversal or, you know, work like a spaz to get up, where he's got to make some decisions here and fight off grappling situations with Hermanson and really show us um, – I guess that's what I look at, look for the most when a guy is at this point of, man, he's got some good wins, he's got great momentum, but is he really of that title ilk? You've got to show us some of those hidden intangibles. For me, it's, I got to see that Sean Strickland can make key adjustments. I got to see that he can rally from behind and change the success of his opponent. A lot of guys look great in first gear, and he was going downhill against Uriah Hall for five rounds and completely owned that. But like some of the fears I had for a Gan going in there against Nganu is you got to see them when someone's really putting them in the, uh, you know, up against their heels there. So uh, I think Hermanson's going to have those moments. But Strickland by decision feels safe, feels like a happy place here, Luke, of, of, a, of a prediction for a result. I like Strickland to stop him. I think he'll stop him. But I'll say I, the reason why I like this fight, why I think it's so interesting to me, is that Jack Hermanson has done something that Sean Strickland has not yet which is he did make it into the top five, I believe, or pretty close, and then kind of got bounced out. He kind of made his way to earn those Cannoneer-type fights, for example, the Vittori fights. 
But then he found himself a little bit um, not ready for that. This is a question of can he retool from those experiences and not just re-enter the top five at six versus seven. I think he said five, seven, and six versus seven. Well, the one, the, my, my screen anyway. Um, can he get back to that place and then, and then finally make that push through to get a title shot? We shall see. Sean Strickland's actually in a similar position. Not that he was in the top five before and is looking to re-enter. Rather, if you look at his career, again, not that takedown defense per se was the thing that got him, but guys like Kamaru, who again is quite special, were able to have some success. If he can clean up that, which we think he has, remember no takedowns given up in the last seven fights, and then take the things he was already good at and get even better at them, he will now get his chance to go into the top five, and we'll see what he can do there. That's a very deep end of the division, as we know, not just numerically, but you look at the names, Vittori, Cannoneer, Brunson, Costa, Whitaker, and then, of course, Adesanya at the top, but he will have certainly earned it. So here are guys who are trying to say the ghosts of my pasts do not define my future. We will see who is correct. Uh, do you have any idea on, on hand speed here? Because if you're looking, look, Strickland's going to be on you for five rounds. The volume's going to be high. It's going to accumulate in damage without question. So, uh, you know, is Hermanson a great counter-striker? You know, that's not no. his forte. Will he have the hand speed to to make this a back and forth on the feet if it has to? I don't think the issue will be hand speed. Forced to answer the question you're asking, I'll side with Strickland as probably the better hand speed. What I will say is, go back to the, and this is a very different fighter, obviously, but go back to the Strickland versus Jack Marshman fight. Um, I believe that's the one that is, I'm let me just verify here. Yes, I believe that is correct. Watch the timing on his jab. You don't, in the words of Floyd Mayweather, you don't have to be faster. You just have to have better timing. Yep. Floyd is fast, but that's not what makes him so good. What makes him so good is he sees the windows that no one else does, and he gets to them and to the target before his opponents. Sean Strickland is not just a tone setter with his jab at times he and a rhythm disruptor. I think he's the guy who takes the more opportune uh, and has the better vision to make those choices. I think that might be the deciding factor. Damn, I love this fight. Looking forward to it on Saturday. Great Luke, fight. Uh, before we get into the, the the Kazakh hero of your heart and and increasingly everyone else's in, in what should be an excellent fight, this co-main event's going to be action at the very least when Punalehi Soriano enters at middleweight as a minus 190 favorite, according to DraftKings, against the plus 160 Nick Maximov, who's uh, you know more of a fresher face on the scene. Luke, as these two pair off in a very important fight, even with... Soriano coming off of a defeat. Who do you feel like has the potential brighter future here as these two guys match up? That's a great question. I, um, I think Soriano is actually a little more MMA ready where um, he seems, first of all, I think he's obviously a better striker. That, 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 that's probably not too much in debate. But I think he's just a little bit more game for some of the the rough and rugged things that MMA offers. The problem is these two have just wildly different skill sets. Maximov is, I you know, in, in many ways only a ground operator. I mean, this is, you know, dude, he's seven fights in. You know, man, I don't know if it's a wise decision for even very good prospects to be in the UFC when you only have seven. And by the way, I think one or two of those is contender series in the one UFC fight. Like... Dude, he came in very early in his career. And, 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 and Soriano, in the same situation, he's only got nine total fights. So both these guys are just, you know, they're kind of junior in their career to this point. But I would say Soriano just seems a little bit more willing to mix it up. The problem is he's a little too willing to take risks. Remember what happened with Devison Figueredo against Moreno? 
Figueredo changed some things up about what he was throwing and whatnot, but the big difference was he dialed back just the junk he was throwing where he could be a much more concentrated, focused attack and not just throw volume for volume's sake. I think Soriano could learn from that experience. He knows how to throw great Great strikes. He knows how to make good reads. He is well-trained. Again, comes from uh, Extreme Couture. These are not people who don't know how to make champions. That's that's exactly what they know how to make. And Soriano is a game fighter. But it just seems like sometimes he can get out in front of his skis with decisions he didn't have to make the way he made them. Dial it back a little bit. Calm down. And I think that guy with a little bit more focus could be a real handful in this division for a lot of guys We'll see if that's what he's got for Maximov. Yeah, can you take that that lightning bolt inside of you that makes you special if you're Puna Soriano and, and just harness it a bit so, so it doesn't end up being used against you? And he leveled off a bit, plateauing in that decision loss to Brendan Allen, but this is now the, the chance to show what he has worked on. And as much as Maximov may want this to go to the ground, Luke, Soriano's going to be uh, luring him into a fight, uh, you know, with the catnip. And uh, that's what makes... Him fun to watch. Uh, it's going to be fun to see which direction he's going. I like this fight a lot. But, Luke, let's get fired the hell up for the third trip to the octagon for one welterweight. Shavkat Rachmaninoff. Um, it always triggers that Willy Wonka scene with the with the German piano to open the door. I, maybe I'm too far off the exit for you here. Uh, Luke, he's going in there against Carlston Harris. And Rachmaninoff has big-time, next-big-thing vibes, even separate from the Schmesh factory fellas from a couple uh, – you know, 100,000 miles over there in in, uh, in the Eurasian crossover area, Caucasus Mountain region extended. Luke, get me off the map. Get me back into this fight. How fired up are you to see your guy back at it for a third time? Super excited. And also, I, I would really caution folks. I actually feel like this is a tough fight. Like, this is not one of those situations where, like, oh, I'm high on Shavkat Rachmanov and he's just going to roll over this guy. I mean, he, he might, but... I'm actually expecting a pretty tough fight. Carlston Harris is is interesting. He is older, and he's getting a chance at the big show later in, in his athletic career, but he's lanky. Um, I, it doesn't show up in the numbers. They say he has less of a reach than Rachmanov, but if you look at the tape, he, he's got deadlift arms. I mean, the dude stands up, and he can scratch his knees. I'm very jealous of of, of, of the what he can do. And he, he, he wisely, this is what I love. Like We always were like, why doesn't Stefan Struve fight tall? You're fucking tall. Fight tall. Um, not that he's tall per se, although he's not short. What I mean to say is, if you got long arms, man, use them, and he does. Great body lock attacks. He gets to the body lock quickly. He can fire you in a bunch of different directions. He really understands how to use it. It's a big portion of his game. I think his striking mechanics at range are a little bit sloppy, and you might see Rachmanov take advantage of that, but he's got big power. He is absolutely willing to throw, and he's undefeated in the UFC, just like Rachmanov, dude. They both have 100% takedown defense. They both have about, you know, commensurate level. I would say that the wins that uh, Rachmanov has are a little bit better, but the the, key, the guys that Harris had fought in Aguilera and uh, Kasanganai stopped them both in the first round, one yeah. sub, one TKO. So, dude, he's a skilled guy as well. This should be a very interesting and tough test. You know, when, when uh, Sean Shelby made that nice cameo in do documentary number six, um, you know, where BC was like, man, you're, you're doing a great job. They're doing it. Him and Mick Maynard are doing a great job when, with, you know, there's a fight night card that isn't, isn't deep in the, in the traditional sense, but man, we got banger versus banger and very important fights right here. Uh, as we look at it now, Rachmanov with the, the big reputation coming in following those two submission wins is minus 240, but respect to Carlston Harris at plus 195. Um, damn, 
uh, you what do you want to see? Because you know, watching the the two demolitions that that Shavkatis has has had, look, he showed you everything that makes him scary, and he's right. got next level poise. He has sort of the movements and swagger and timing and technique of a championship level fighter. To be fair, what do you want to see? Either situations he's placed in or what, what what are you expecting in this regard from what you want to see in this fourth test Shavkat Ragmanov the reason why he captured my attention with only two fights was I was blown away I'm going to go back to it because I didn't get it well I did the post fight show but I didn't get a chance to talk about it with you BC which was you know some of the errors that Gon made one of my big reads on Gon was I was really sort of lauding his decision making because a large portion of it was just a function now in retrospect anyway of what he was doing in clinch situations which can involve certain forms of wrestling but obviously at range as well and in that space his decision making was just superb he can't I mean look I mean, he went five rounds with Francis and did Francis land clean on him one time except to the body not really right I mean it's it's pretty impressive that he was able to do that um, and, and all of his other fights as well but then it turned out when it went to the ground his decision making isn't nearly as good because he's just not nearly as experienced in that he doesn't really understand the full complexities of that game in the way that he should in, in my judgment and so there's a bit of a gap there there is no gap there with Shavkat Rachmanov. When you watch him, he, he by the way, this is not some guy like, you know, uh, Hamzat Chemaev might end up being better, but he comes out of the first round like a fucking shot out of a cannon, right? I mean, he just comes at you full bore, and that really captures your attention. Rachmanov is the exact opposite. He very much is a first round. Let's see what things are happening here. Doesn't want to give up too much. Doesn't doesn't punt on the round, but does you just look at him? He is making read after read. Floyd Mayweather's best rounds are almost never his first because what is he doing? He's just doing this. Rachmanov does the exact same thing, but by round two, that is when you see him really ratchet up the intensity. And once he starts laying into his game, you just realize how many layers this guy has. He is an excellent decision maker. He is very well-rounded. He is athletic. He is much younger than his opponent as well. This is a, I think, a very difficult fight and a tough test with a tricky, kind of unusual opponent. But for a guy like Rachmanov, if he is who we think he is, and then again, we're only two fights in, let's see. But I feel like on tape, what we have seen is a guy who is so thorough that that 14-0 is in no way an accident. He is skilled to the nth degree. Uh, Harris, the first Guyanese-born fighter to earn a victory in the UFC. And look, he was saying that just him making it to the UFC started this MMA boom in his home country that there was no footprint before that. That's so close to Brazil. I find that hard to believe. Luke. You know more about South America than I do. I don't know much about that side of South America. I only know the sort of the Spanish speaking other side a little bit. Um, he's got an interesting accent. Like he, he sounds almost slightly Jamaican, but mixed with all this other stuff. The Caribbean's funny that way, right? All these cultures come together and blend and it, it ends up being, a ton of unusual different things. I know he trains in uh, Rio de Janeiro, so he's, he's training at Brazilian gyms, and it's done wonders for him. He, he is quite good, but I don't, I don't know exactly the impact on you know, what's happening in that, that part of the world. I used to work with a guy from um, Guyana at the, at the factory, Luke, when I was there. When I was a shipping manager, and uh, he was a big cricket guy, Luke, not, not, uh, not MMA, so maybe, maybe that's the case. All right, Luke, is it more likely... That this plays out like an Anderson Silva versus Chris, Chris Lieben type affair, or that we find out legitimate answers in terms of what uh, Rachmanov's made of when when pushed a little bit. Yes. Uh, again, this is a guy who you watch him on the feet. He's a little loose. Sometimes his mechanics are a little bit 
you know, rough around the edges, I'll say, which is why I think Rachmanov might be able to take advantage of that. But a, a tricky opponent is still one where even if you're better than them, if you're not better in the way that you need to be on that particular night, you can lose. I would caution, though, about reading too much into this win. Let's even say that Rachmanov goes in there and blows the fucking doors off of him, right? I still would be very slow down. Like, talk to people around him. You know, in his camp, they, they kind of believe that, like, this first contract of four fights, they're just doing this to get him experience. They say no one wants to fight him. Carlton Harris, obviously, is uh, is up for the uh, – Carlston, Carlton, whatever the, the name is. I forget it exactly. But you get the idea. They're just trying to get this guy reps. So if he wins, great. If he wins big, even better. But everyone slow the roll about the ultimate upside. I Yes, I, I believe in him, but – he still has to prove it, and this is a nice win, but not a formative win. Carlston. 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 Is the name. Uh, before we uh, circle too far out of this, uh, YouTube.com slash Morning Combat is, of course, our channel that we hope you're liking and subscribing to, and plenty of great uh, interviews there. Luke, our boy uh, Shaq Majordi of, uh, of Vancouver fame, uh, CBS Sports has also, on his own channel, uh, been putting out a, a consistent flow of good stuff. I forgot he did talk to Jack Hermanson ahead of time about the ridiculousness of Sean Strickland and, you know, getting kind of turned off by some of those comments. Uh, I wanted to give a chance to throw to that before we circle too far away. Sally, do we have that? Sally, are you with me? Sally, are you with me? Uh, yeah, he's got one where he's talking about Strickland. You got that? Or whatever you got, play it. I'm ready. Yeah, just play whatever you have. Let's see. Things he says and the things he writes. Just what goes through your mind? No, you're just shaking your head, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just another crazy thing on the internet, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it just happens to be my opponent this time. <laughs> mm. So, <laughs> do you think if he could get away with it, do you really think he would kill someone? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that <laughs> if he got the opportunity to do a death match. Uh, oh yes, that that he he would uh, uh, agree on it, you know, and, and fight fight to the death. If the money was right, I feel like he's a guy that would say, yes, I would do it. Oh, look, this guy Shaq, just, just, just going for it, I guess, Luke. He's like, you know, you, you think he, you know, here is something you, you probably can't understand. He can just kill a man. Think he'd do it? Uh, interesting. Duke, 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 Duke of Duke, Duke, Duke. Just doing some Cypress. Oh, uh, Luke, we um, haven't seen a, a sanctioned death match since Daniel LaRusso versus Chosen in the final scene of Karate Kid Part Two. That was an open hour. Yeah. Remember those things that duck, 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 Oh, yeah. Drums? I got, I got, I always buy those on vacation, like when you're in like south of the border or something. And then you, you yeah. know, yeah, I got a lot of those in my life. All right. Uh, so, Luke, any other uh, fights of note on this card, storylines that you're interested in? Um, not a whole lot. Julian Arosa is a fun fighter. That could be kind of interesting. Brandon Allen against Sam Alvey. Brandon, Brandon Allen had a lot of, uh, uh, I still have a lot of respect for, but has had a couple of trip ups. This is a, a chance for him to, um, you know, get another W. I think he should win that fight. I guess we'll see. 
Other than that, it's interesting. Alexis Davis is on this card. I, I, she's been gone for a while. Chidi Njokawani is a, is a fun one too, right? Here was a guy who kind of toiled on the... His brother Anthony was a great WEC fighter, had a great win over uh, Chris Horodesky. Chidi was always the one who was kind of a little bit in the shadow, had a decent run in Bellator. Actually, a good run in Bellator, but not, a, not the perfect one. Shined like a motherfucker on the Contender Series, and here he is in the UFC. Great striker, great reads. I think both of those guys, I'm not sure if they still are, but for one time, we're out of one kick Nick in uh, his gym. Um, we'll see. We'll see what he's got. Interesting fight. Dude, Trezano, Michael Trezano, who is fighting him, is uh, he's a fun fighter, Luke, from the Ultimate Fighter. Makes fun fights. I know, dude. I couldn't tell you who's from the Ultimate Fighter and who is not at this point. So I, I mean no disrespect, but I've not I paid such little attention to it that I, I don't quite understand that, that uh, aspect of the matchup sometimes. Yeah, fuck that shit, bro. All right, our third topic, Luke, is the uh, the boxing pay-per-view of the weekend, PBC on Fox, offering welterweights, and it is one Keith, one-time Thurman returning back to action for the first time in two-plus years due to injuries, fatherhood, the pandemic, one of the biggest stars in this 147-pound division over the last decade. I mean, when he stepped away for the first time for a two-year absence beginning in 2017. He had the best resume among welterweights. But, Luke, it's now 33 years old coming back against a hungry Mario Barrios, moving up to 147 for the first time. But we saw Barrios against Tank Davis at 140 last June, and Barrios put, was there to there to fight until he was stopped late. Luke, uh, we've, I've gone up, uh, up and down on this card storylines-wise. We've heard from Keith, the interview I had with him, yeah, you can debate whether seventy four ninety five and whether this is an actual pay-per-view worthy main event. It's an action-worthy fight with a lot of meaning and stakes in terms of the future of both. How do you sort of read the importance of this fight and, and how competitive you expect it to be? I hate that this fight is on pay-per-view in part because more... Godzilla's here. Um... <laughs> Yo, Tuki's like... Fuck this country. You know what I mean? Bro, I want to yeah, go back. You know? Bro, yesterday was a motherfucking calamity in the Miami airport. Okay. Neither here nor there. I hate that this fight's on pay-per-view because it's actually... People are like, oh, I don't want to pay for it, right? Because if you if you take away the pay-per-view aspect... Imagine this was like for free on Showtime or something. Dude, we, we not just that it's on Showtime. Free on PBC. Free on ESPN. Whatever. We'd be fucking pumped for this. Yeah. We'd be like, hell yeah, dude. Not one to miss. This is the one you got to see. But because it's behind a paywall, folks begin to ask different questions about the fight that it really can't answer properly in terms of its value proposition. Here's what I would say I love about this fight, dude. Mario Barrios, never been a, a true welterweight before. Let's see if he can do it. It seems like he's got the frame for it, right? I think 71-inch reach. He's pretty tall. So you you wonder what he can do. He was, I thought, pretty game against one of the more dominant punchers at light welterweight against Tank Davis. Ultimately couldn't hold up, but, you know, dude, he gave it a spirited affair. No doubt about it, he's a fucking dog. And younger, has been in the trenches here a little bit, has been more active. He's himself daring to be great here, taking on Tank Davis and Keith Thurman in back-to-back -back fights. So you got to love that. But with, with Keith Thurman, man, dude, two fights in five years, everyone's only talking about the three or almost three-year layoff he's been on. He was on a fucking layoff before that, and he's had hand injuries and surgeries. Look at this line. I think it's from DraftKings. It may have moved a little bit since I pulled this up on my screen, BC. They've got Thurman at minus 180 and Barrios at plus 145. Folks, if you're an MMA fan, you don't appreciate that you see that kind of a lineup where two guys are either minus one something or plus one something in a UFC main event all the time in boxing. How many times? 
do we go into a fight weekend where someone is minus 400, minus 700, minus 1,000 or something? Even in here, a good fight. By the way, even in a fight that could be competitive, sometimes you're like, well, it could be competitive, but the B-side's not going to win, you know? That's right. How about Wilder versus Fury 3? They had, I think it was a minus two or 300 in either direction. Not this one, folks. The odds makers are like, this is as competitive a main event in boxing as they more or less come. You don't see this very often, and there's good reason and big questions to ask about liking both sides or, or wondering about both sides. Yeah, who's the more skilled? It's Keith Thurman. But you can't dodge the questions of two fights in five years, two and a half years off. And even in those two fights, Luke, the second one was, I, I always argued, th that may have been Thurman's best performance. I know he beat Sean Porter in a classic and beat Danny Garcia in a close fight. But the performance Keith Thurman had in defeat against Manny Pacquiao, he was great after that well, early knockdown. Well, late, you mean, because early he got run over. Well, not really run over. He got surprised and knocked down in the first round. It took him a while to pick up on Pacquiao's speed, and I think Pacquiao started to slow down, rightfully so, at 40 in the middle part of that fight, and that's when Thurman stepped on the gas. And I think you saw, at least here's what I'm saying, you saw the perfect balance of what he is, a boxer puncher who can do it all. And... But let's not forget, just a couple months before that, he almost got stopped by Jose Cito Lopez in a comeback fight from two years off due to major right. surgeries. And a guy, not a big puncher, who just jumped all over him at one point late in that fight. And you're like, oh, God, is Keith Channing question? You know, what's going on here? So considering the questions, this is a great fight because Barrios is the perfect fighter style-wise and dog-wise, which is most important, as you mentioned, to give him a lot of trouble. To, to, to check his gas tank, to, to hurt him surprisingly like Jose Cito Lopez did. But if you're telling me I'm getting 75% of the Thurman from that Pacquiao fight, I still think he wins a decision in a fun fight, Luke. That's why the odds are there with still Thurman as a favorite despite the questions. And if Thurman wins, dude, you're talking maybe Terrence Crawford next, maybe the winner of Spence right. Ugas. I mean, you're talking big-time fights. Um, do you, do you think those, those blind spots, those, those weak areas are going to, are going to come to the surface for Thurman that 33 in this? Dude, it's not just about beating Barrios for Thurman. The question is like, what kind of Thurman and can we get the Thurman that we once saw? So you mentioned that he beat Porter and Garcia in back-to-back -back fights. Boy, those wins have aged well, but aged is the key term there. Porter, he beat in 2016. Garcia, he beat in 2017. Folks, it's been a fucking while since he was doing work like that. He used to be, back me up if I'm wrong, BC, or tell me if I'm wrong, rather. Um, he used to be, I think, a pretty fucking dominant puncher in that weight class, but he's had hand issues and surgery yeah. since then. So could he get by beating Mario Barrios on some new style of stick and move where he can't really commit to punches in the way he did before? In its own right, that would kind of be impressive. But that's not the old one-time Keith Thurman. That's not who that guy is. That would be a new guy. What I'm looking to see is, is there a new guy? Has he turned a corner into something else, either by necessity or by choice? Or has the time off refreshed him? Is he able to go back to what he was doing before, where he was kind of a hammer uh, with the punches? And, 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 and I think Barrios, by the way, could be the perfect guy because he's a little bit of a dog when he wants to be, too. At least he has been to this point. So to me, it's a question of, Barrios' upside and where he's going to end up potentially if he stays in this weight class, but it's also a question of just who is Keith Thurman in 2022? There's just well, no way to know. He was a dominant puncher on the way up, which is why he had the one-time nickname. You know, hand issues definitely were a factor, but also I think, you know, 
he fell in love with the with the boxing side of it. And I think the only fear in that is, did, does he box more than he should punch? You know, for the wrong reasons. Some people think he was going in the wrong direction in the second half of the Danny Garcia fight and was sort of circling away from the action. Well, I didn't see him do that against Pacquiao. You know, he got hurt late in that fight too with a body shot. And he kept coming, so. I'm not as fearful about that, but he, one thing he did say is this is the first time his left hand, and if you look back at him as a finisher, yeah, the, the overhand right is big, but that left hook sets up so much. He says his left hand is healthy for the first time in years. Um, I don't know. Guys always say they feel you know best ever coming into a big comeback. I hope that's the same for Keith, because if he wins this, Luke, the future, I mean, there's going to be some fun fights with him. Yeah, and just ask yourself, dude. Like, like even without Keith Thurman, one one forty seven has been an incredible division. Uh, now, if you can get him back as a player, it's like you're just playing with house money at that point. There's a yeah. million different fights you could make if Keith Thurman is, is really who he is. Or, or how about this, dude? We're like, I mean, yes, it would be nice to have Keith Thurman back as a as a player, and a, and and you could do some rematches or some fun new fights. But what I mean to say is this. It would be interesting to see if Mario Barrios doesn't just like we we all imagine that if Barrios wins, that he might like squeak by or oh Keith looks like shit. Well, what if Keith actually looks pretty good or good early and Mario Barrios shows us a degree of uh, development that we haven't seen to this point? Remember, he's still in his twenties. He's going to grow a lot, fight over fight over fight. You're still going to see a little bit of that. What if he comes in there and just absolutely blows us away? Wouldn't that be a fun new name to the division as well? So to me, it's like I don't want to see. What I want to see from Keith Thurman, win or lose, is I want to see competitive fire. I want to see that he's got something for us. Because he, you can imagine, dude, maybe he's been like, I've been working on this. I've, I've got all this stuff. I feel much better. But the ring rust doesn't let him show us that yes. this time. Maybe the next time it does. There's still some hope for Keith Thurman in a lot of different ways. Let's not lose sight of that either. That's why you can't overlook the degree of difficulty of what he's doing here with no tune-up fight against a hungry guy who can totally who can expose those blind spots in him. Uh, the, you know, no two, boxing's tough. You fight even less than an MMA, you know, per year, per average, and you're, you're only as good as your last fight because people are going to hold that performance and those fears uh, against you in a lot of ways. But BC, true or layoff. false, true or false, true or false. This pay-per-view will tank, and Keith Thurman will still make more than Francis Ngannou made for oh, his last God, fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, people are coming out of nowhere with, Here's what I made, and it's still more than Ngannou for every situation lately, and each one makes you go, oh, oh, shit, man. Like, really? <laughs> you know, like that, damn. Um, all right, so it's a shame that Sean Porter retired only from the standpoint that I really would have loved the rematch for, for, between them. I mean, you mentioned those two fights for Thurman, the Danny Garcia and the Sean Porter. Those were both on CBS, Luke, in prime time. Like, that was, they did like six million views. Like, that was a big, or five million views. That was like a big-ass deal. Um, Thurman has talked about potentially fighting Bud Crawford next, if it's on the table, if they can make it work. Um, we're all interested in seeing which, what, whoever signs Bud Crawford. And I heard Eddie Hearn talk about, you know, the, you know, the, the, does he want to or not when he sat down with Ariel on the MMA hour of like, you know, there's that financial divide. We all want to, to promote, thir you know, uh, Terrence Crawford, but will he take the amount of money that'll be more commensurate with what, what kind of views they can get on pay-per-view? Uh, either way, Thurman wins here. I want him next against Crawford, and I want the winner to fight the winner of Ugod Spence. But to close here, Luke, uh, Leo Santa Cruz also in the co-main event, not against the guy who I think is going to give him anything, but it's it's the first time he's back since the knockout loss to Gervonta, so it is important. But in the main event, Luke, uh, who wins and why, when, how? 
That's a tough one, dude. I really don't know. But I'm going to say... Um, I'll go Thurman in a close one. Thurman in a close one. I I I don't know, dude. Like, I, obviously, dude, I don't fucking know. Dude, it's Keith gun Thurman. To head, gun to my head. Thurman in a close one. It's Keith Thurman. So even if he comes back at 33 and shakes off most of the rust, I think you're right. I think he's still gonna win a decision, majority decision, or a you know 115, 113 unanimous decision, where we're like, okay, yeah, he did the better work. But what about round three and then seven? He was a little clunky. And, oh, God, what happened when he got, you know. So there's going to be some questions, and I think Barrios is good enough to create those questions. Give me Thurman by decision. That is the bet. That's the uh, mm. that's the direction. Um, but hey, hey, I don't think Tuki is yelling enough today. Can she yell more? Maybe she would. Was she predicting a Barrios upset, Luke? I couldn't translate that. I don't know. She's No, she's singing fucking uh, all the Lin-Manuel Miranda songs from oh, yeah. fucking Encanto. It's oh, endless. yeah. That's, okay. that's, your, that's, your, that's the soundtrack of your life, Luke, okay? <laughs> uh, no se habla de Bruno. Uh, Luis Neri against Carlos Castro is a 10-round uh, fight that's going to be very important with Neri coming off of that knockout loss to Brandon Figueroa in their uh, title sort of unification. Boy, he, did he not come into that, that Charlo doubleheader with like the wind at his back. Dude, and he had and then he had the close he had the close fight with Alameda was way too close it was supposed to be. And then Figueroa tuned him up and I'm like, dude has some questions to answer now. He has some questions if he can carry the power at this weight class. He always has questions about making weight. Uh I think what happened is that fight you're talking about in the pay-per-view, he had Canelo's coach, Eddie Reynoso, and I think they tried to turn him into a boxer, Luke, and it, it just didn't work. And that's fine, but whether it was his lack of commitment or it just didn't work. You know, he went back to his original trainer immediately after, and, dude, he just he got overrun by Figueroa's pressure and kind of gassed out and got stopped. You know, I mean, it was, it was a great body shot that is going to be a great body shot in any circumstance, but it came at a point where you're like, is Neri fading? Like, is this it? So th- he's got a lot of questions to answer against Carlos Castro. Uh, looking forward, there's a couple other names worth watching. Fernando Vargas Jr. on the undercard, who's got a couple pro fights and has looked pretty good. Uh, Luke, let's go over to topic number four. And that would be, uh, how about this? Not yet confirmed by Showtime, the expected network for it, Luke. But there was social media uh, looked like uh, confirmation from one Brian Castaño that this junior middleweight in boxing undisputed championship rematch against Jermel Charlo with the first one last year being a instant classic almost. And, and a lot of people thought, hey, maybe Castaño deserved that decision there. He did deserve uh, They're going to do it a second time, it seems, March 19th. At I still can I say Staples Center forever? Luke at Crypto.com Arena at the at the at the Dogecoin Palace here, Luke. Um, <laughs> and according to, to according to reports here, uh, BoxingScene.com saying regular Showtime Luke is going to be the Ooh. home of this. We'll see if the network confirms it. And also ESPN reporting on the undercard. You know your boy BC is going to have a hard on from here to Hanover. Tim Zhu going to come to the U.S. Yeah. and take on. Very tough out, Terrell Gaucher in a junior middleweight fight that could could wow. You're talking about forecasting the future of what can happen, you know, between that and Bro, the main that's event. A, I, I like that fight because uh old Timmy's gonna have to work for it a little bit, but that's clearly designed to be like, hey everybody, remember that guy Costa Zoo? Well, this guy's a bad motherfucker too, you know. Oh my god, setting I feel him like up we, for his American debut. I feel like we skip over that too soon, meaning saying, Oh yeah, son of the Hall of Famer Costa Zoo and 
I'm not sure everyone remembers Coach Tazu, but God damn, he was a badass, Luke. Uh, Russian-born, but came of age in Australia and fought with a badass ponytail and just had knockout power, but with an incredible amateur pedigree and background to box with it. And look, he was hell at 140 pounds. I mean, his knockout of Zab Judah, where he turned him into a, you know, a dancing zombie is one of the most, you know, I mean, that God, I mean, and then he lost his title to Ricky Hatton, remember, where he, where he mm -hmm. asked out after round 11 in an absolute war and retired right there. And um, he was a badass. But, 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 but Tim Zoo has been, uh, from what I have seen, electrifying. He is an electrifying yeah. fighter at times. He, he has he has great potential, but the main event is the is the bigger story. And, and God, I'm glad Brian Castaño gets this second chance because look, he fought great against Jermel, and there was like you know scorecards that were like a little bit too wide and didn't make a ton of sense. And um, not only to see him get the second chance, but to see the boxing world embrace the the news of this of like hell yeah, give me this fight. We love undisputed championships. We love uh, rematches of great fights, Luke. So. I want to see how Jermel Charlo adjusts because this guy, Castaño, is not going anywhere. He's in your face, but it's it's almost with an educatedly aggressive uh, boxing attack. You know, there's yes. it, it's, it's, it doesn't go over the line of reckless, and that's what makes him so tough. It's it's like, I, I, I don't, I mean, obviously he's Argentinian, so I don't want to say it's a Mexican style, but it is somewhat reminiscent of the pressure and volume you sometimes get with that style, except tuned a little bit back to make it a little bit more strategic and not as uh, damage intensive in terms of absorbing it, which obviously makes him very, very difficult. Charlo, I thought, gave it a, a decent run. I thought Cassano should have won. Didn't go his way, but you could tell from that fight, dude. I mean, we talked about in the run-up to it, where the odds were close and people were kind of on both sides of it and it was hard to tell. You know, Castaño is a clever operator, and I think you learn from that one. And, dude, Charlo's got his work cut out for him, no doubt about it. It's interesting. If you could see the future and say Charlo wins, which would be a hell of a win, and he could further cement the idea that, you know, he's, he's on paper he's the best 154-pound fighter in the world um, in, in terms of the accomplishments before their first fight. But it's like if he wins, is it going to be because Castaño makes him knock him out? Or... Does Charlo yeah. have the potential? Because sometimes when a, when, a, when a first fight is so close and fun and back and forth, sometimes in a lot of these situations, the better boxer in the rematch just goes, oh, I'll fight a little bit safer, rely on my you know athleticism and, and, and mix with my smarts. And is there a, a, a potential where Charlo outboxes him somewhat cleanly and, and, and goes to another level? Those are the, the questions I want to see answered here. Yeah, that, that part to me I'm a little bit more skeptical of, although I do think people kind of think the Charlos are just kind of athletic punchers and not much else, and that's really not what the tape shows. However, however, I do think that, you know, skill for skill, I'm going to say Costano, Costano, excuse me, is a little bit more skilled than the Charlos, but I, if, you, if, you, if, I, if someone came from the future again, I was like, okay, Charlo wins, and I had to sort of wrap my head around what that might mean, I'm going to guess it's from dominant punching. I do think that the first fight showed that the dominant power puncher of the two was definitely Charlo. It, it's just he didn't find enough opportunities to really lay that into Castaño because he is quite clever. So let's see if he can change that the second time around. Well, that's the thing. If, if he feels like he landed his money shots and Castaño didn't stop coming or didn't have to alter his game plan, that could be trouble. You know, then then maybe Charlo True. does go to a more boxing-intensive speed-based attack. But, you know, Castaño's not slow. 
and and that that pressure is smart. So can't can't wait for that one. Love it. March nineteenth. Uh, Luke, we're gonna close topic five with some quick hitters here. Um, Jeremy Stevens, who in the absence, Luke has signed with uh, PFL after the end of his UFC run, and also has called out Anthony Pettis and called him fat and wants a rematch, uh, whether that moves you or not, under the PFL banner. But he talked to Ariel in the MMA Hour and said, uh, I asked the UFC to give me a favorable matchup. I've been fighting beasts, a murderer's row for two decades, and I just felt like I was getting iced out. Only fighting once a year, that's not good for the bank account. I'm just trying to be typical, just like you. I'm trying to provide for my family, and the only way I can do that is by fighting. And they weren't really fighting. They were really fighting with me. Uh, do you know how hard it is to, to fight on one paycheck per year? I'm just like any normal human being. I mean, Luke, in this case, you know, he had enough losses where it's justified, but you think there's any truth to the UFC icing him out and sort of making him quit? I seriously doubt that. But, like, to the extent that he was not a priority for them is probably quite true. And if you're not a priority for them, you're not going to get priority treatment. In, rather than being in first class or business class, you're going to be in boarding group nine. You know what I'm saying? He was in boarding group nine. Uh, well, he went on to talk about, Luke, how many short notice fights he's taken in the past, how many fight of the night honors he's gotten. Right, to, your, right. to your point, he feels like he should get, like, a, a respect status. Like, Dude, respect. I mean, all these fighters decide that they want to learn these lessons the hard way. I, I don't know what to tell them. Like, I, you know, the media coverage is clear. Like, it, you, you know that if you do a favor for the UFC, there is just way too much evidence at this point to suggest that they, if they don't pay it back, that's quite common. Now, there are certainly cases I've heard, Michael Bisping has told me some, where he did them a solid and they paid it back. It's not to say that they always don't do that, but... You know, how many stories have fighters told us over the years? We're like, dude, I got this one short notice and I took this one and I took an L and I took less pay on the on the belief that that would be repaid to them in some kind of capacity later on down the line. And then it never materialized. A lot of these guys like, dude, you got to respect Jeremy Stevens, man. I, I tweeted about it. That guy never ducked a challenge. Not one. You couldn't find him and an ounce of cowardice in his body. He does not have it at the same time. He made sacrifices in deals where they were just bad deals in the sense of, you know, oh, I made these, I did this for you. What about for me? Dude, was the back scratching that you thought you were going to get, was that mandated in the contract? No? Then you cannot be surprised you didn't get it. It's, it's a hard, harsh truth, but it's the one that we have to all come to grips with. Man, he's... He's such a fun fighter. I always love watching him. I love him and RDA. I, dude, when are you going to see guys again? I, I've said this before. Cowboys. I did an interview dude, with Jeremy they're, they're years ago. Cowboys, Luke. Tell, yeah, tell I, Paul that's Cole. exactly We're, correct. Yeah, no, these are the real, you know, you get me ready in your 56 Chevy. These are the guys that rev the engine, right? Yeah, dude, these are the guys. That, I, I, they don't make them like Jeremy Stevens very often. And I think he took fights, honestly, he'll, he'll admit it probably, to his own um, professional detriment. But for the fans, you got to kind of reward that and understand that's a very special fighter that'll do things like that, even if he didn't have a, a belt around his waist. Although RDA Guys like did. him, I have the most fear for because they were short of just shy of like consistent, legitimate title contention. But to maintain, to try to stay near that for the rest of their career, they had to make really tough physical decisions and take on damage and take big chances and just, you know, never give up and freaking grind. I fear long term for those guys because of the damage accrued to be able to 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 stay there and and you know 
It, what did they get? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they got money. They I got would love. I would love to know what his total payout was over 30 plus UFC fights. Like how much? How much was all that blood worth in terms of treasure? Um, like when we and that's the thing. Luke, when we talk about the fighter pay debate, we talk about hey, shouldn't John Jones get you know not 10 million as opposed to two and a half? Really, it shows up in situations like Jeremy Stevens. It's like. God, he was everything. He was the nail that the UFC prefers to hammer in for years. They love guys like that. I want to see those guys uh, protected and, you know, uh, cared for the rest of the way. Uh, look, I don't know. Look, I'm no union organizer. I'm no a- answerer of, of how do you do it then. I don't know. And it's not up to me. But it is up to us, as we always say, to, to bring it to light. Uh, quickly, to close on this fighter pay topic, Chad Mendes, the 36-year-old, talked to MMA Junkie ahead of his BKFC debut he's planning, and they asked him whether the grass really was greener on this side financially with BKFC. Mendes said, quote, I'll put it this way. I just saw what the UFC heavyweight champion of the world just got paid, and it's going to be more than that. It's pretty crazy. I feel blessed for sure. Man, it's pretty profitable. I'm getting paid well for the fight, and I'm doubling that with sponsors alone. It's crazy. That was such a big moneymaker for us in the UFC before the Reebok deal. Obviously, not everybody, but people who knew what they were doing and could promote actually got out of there and got what they needed. It was great. Uh, Luke, you're not surprised by this, right? No. I mean, there's a question of whether BKFC is overspending, but that doesn't mean anything for fighters. There's lots of promotions that have gone out of business if you're a fighter, get the money, get whatever money you can from them before they go. And so happy for Chad Mendez, right? This is a thing he wants to do. He presumably is going to get a big uh, paycheck. He's got sponsors. It, this is you know, it's the whole thing I go back to. It's like, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like, you know, we're making it a storyline because it's relevant re- to what the UFC does or does not do. But like, it shouldn't, the only thing that should be a, 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 the news item about pay is just how fucking much it is. Like, wow, do you see that big ass paycheck? That's great. Okay, on to the next fucking story. But, we live in a different world right now, and so as a consequence, this ends up being good publicity for your PFLs with tournaments or your BKFCs with big checks or whoever. They get so much good publicity just by giving the fighters a little bit more of a cut. Funny how that works. Yeah. Uh, Luke, quick update on uh, Megan Anderson, who's a free agent, of course, former UFC featherweight title challenger at 31 years old, uh, posted an Instagram and said, hey, for all those asking and continue to ask me daily, I have no plans to fight right now. I'm not saying that I'll never fight again, but at this point in my life, I'm loving everything else I'm doing from gaming and streaming, working as an analyst for ESPN and Invicta, and currently filming my first major feature film. I couldn't be happier. Uh, She went on to say, Luke, she's not affiliated with any gym, and she's really not interested in pursuing a new fight contract. Uh, Luke, she she does uh, some good uh, for ESPN for their Australian coverage. Uh, She's like a featured MMA analyst in... in, um, yeah, man, it's it's surprising because there would seem to be a, a market for her services right now. And uh but we're also seeing people go, you know what? I got as far as I can go. I'm I'm cool going back to regular life. Dude, there's no shame in that. I I mean, fighting mixed martial arts is fucking brutal. And if you're yeah. not, there's one way to do this and it is spectacularly. And if you can't do it spectacularly, you know, you're going to have a fucking you're gonna have a hard time she made a good run of it she made it all the way to the ufc she made it all the way to the best against the world couldn't beat her you know uh and that's okay dude that's a okay so you couldn't beat the best in the world you're not the best in the world so what what else can you do turns out she can do a fair bit um i i totally commend her all you can want for people in this life is 
Give it a try. Give it your best. And, and if it works out, amazing. If it doesn't, go do something else where you can give it it all and give it your best. And if she could take that knowledge and go make money streaming or analyst work, I commend her for it. Save your brain. Have a great life. Don't put wear and tear on your body. If you're not, fe- and also Dana White, this is the one thing that I think he is just consistently right about. He's like, dude, and, and part of it, he says, you know, to like go be at odds with fighters who want more money. But there is truth to the fact we're like, man, if you're not all in on this, don't do it. If you're, if she seemingly is not all in on it. She wants to do something else. It is wise for her to not be in that cage. I commend her for the for the sober, rational assessment of her of her life and I wish her nothing but the best. I hope she makes a ton of money and and has great success. If only that attitude was prevalent in the adult film businesses, all right? I mean, you know, like <laughs> that's, that's another that's another brutal business where you take a pounding. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh Luke, uh, Clarissa Shields is back uh, boxing this weekend. I uh, wanted to at least uh put it out there that it's happening. It's going to be an independent pay-per-view, but she's going to defend her trio now of middleweight world titles. This is not. Un- hold on, real quickly. Don King is not promoting this, right? I didn't no, see no. that. No, no. He I? had the the the, the weird pay per view uh, the week before with uh, yeah with a really bad decision and a lot of people calling out Canelo. It was it was sad. All right, Luke. In this one though, unbeaten Emma Cozen is going to be Shields' opponent. It's going to be on the same card of Chris Eubank Jr. versus Liam Williams. And uh, Clarissa has been training with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, she her and her trainer Gerald Tucker went to Vegas and did some time at the Mayweather gym and. She claims that Floyd has taught her to, quote, calm down and the knockouts will come. Now, Luke, um, Shields is hits hard but not known as a finisher, and some of that can be the, the two-minute rounds as opposed to three that we're still archaically using in the women's game. But uh, she could do worse in terms of looking to round out her skills. Do you have – I don't want to say do you have any interest in this. I mean, look, it's, it's not high profile. Uh, I want to see what happens. I want to watch the tape. But uh, – in terms of the bounce back and forth boxing and MMA, how how interested are you at what Clarissa Shields can do in 2022? I have to tell you, I have great respect for Clarissa Shields. I think, you know, you could look at her record in MMA and it's not, you know, the most amazing one. But um, I feel like she's trying to do something close to, not quite, something close to the impossible. You know, I've watched all of her uh, boxing matches to this point and... They're fine. She's obviously quite talented. She she should win this one walking away. Um, and what she has tried in MMA is so funny, dude. Like she's obviously a natural born fighter. Obviously, good athlete, smart, the whole thing. She works on her craft. I don't mean to say that she just walks in and gets it all done, but and she's tough you know, as she, nails, by the way. She's fucking tough as nails, and she, dude, she's not afraid of these people at all. When she gets in MMA, she understands that she's up against different people with better skills and certain capacities, but. There's no fear there. She understands what she's up against, and she you can tell she believes in her strengths as well. And I like her striking in MMA. I like her boxing. It's fast. It's crisp. Um, but, dude, she's got to make a choice. She's got to make a choice. This whole shit about I'm going to go box a little bit and then do MMA a little bit, you cannot win that way, at least not in the PFL. It's too hard. These people in MMA, you're, you, as talented as she is, you can get a reasonably athletic purple, brown, somebody like that, black belt, in, in jiu-jitsu and they're just always going to give her problems and it shouldn't be that way because she is a better athlete than them she is a better combat athlete than them and i think if she really focused on mma i i, I honestly wonder what her fortunes could be but right. unless she is in boxing people grow up doing it so by the time they get to their 20s they might take a little bit of time off between fights and then have these big long camps and it doesn't really hurt them MMA, you cannot do that right now. At least not with the current state of the sport, not with her time in it. She's only very recent. She did not grow up doing it. If she really wants to make money doing that and do something interesting like Brock did, 
It just has to be more than what it, what it is, which means she needs to move away from boxing. But of course, I can't tell her that because she can still make money and that's how her bread is buttered. Well, so she's I'm in saying. a difficult position. If this is about money at the end of the day, I mean, money plays a big part in this, obviously. I mean, she said it is. But if like the real foundational backbone is like, I'm only going back and forth because I got to maximize what I can make right now, then that's fine. That's fine. But I do get your point on sticking in one lane and going all in. It, it, it seems to be the best move. Uh, it's weird. She was at odds with Jake Paul a lot and was very quick to, you know, criticize Amanda Serrano for, even though they're friends, for, you know, criticize the idea. I have to of, say, of, hold on. Can we start back up a step here? I think Eddie Hearn, what Eddie Hearn and Jake Paul are doing, and I mean this strictly as promoters X and Y, if you didn't know their names, but you just saw what they were doing to promote this Serrano versus Taylor fight. They're doing an excellent job, dude. I'm sorry. They are. You can say whatever the fuck you want about both of them. Yeah. I, I was extremely impressed by what they That's had done. That's what I was so going to ask you, Luke. She'd been at odds with Jake, and, he, and he, her and Amanda Serrano are friends, and, and they've supported each other. But, you know, she did kind of take a shot at her of, like, fighters. I'm not going to go on a YouTuber's undercard. She doesn't have a, you know, U.S. TV deal at the moment. Uh, do you think she could be helped by Jake Paul in a lot of ways? Yes. I think the two of them could be, you know, um, uh, that could be a powerful partnership. You know, Jake Paul, again, for whatever else you want to say about him, he has done more for Amanda Serrano's career on the promotional side than anyone ever by a considerable margin. Um, now, granted, he got in at the right time where he was able to make use of those things, but if it wasn't for him, who was going to do this? Like, it, it doesn't, I don't know who the hell that even would have been. So, um, you know, we'll see. And again, everyone's like, oh, he's just in it for the money. Dude, what promoter isn't? You think Eddie Hearn's in there for the fucking philanthropy? Like, he's in there for the money, too. So the question is, though, is what they ultimately deliver. What did they actually do? Yeah, I think that probably could be. Now, again, do I think that Jake Paul probably needs, as a, as a promoter, he probably needs Shields more than Shields needs Jake Paul. There's a lot of promoters I think somebody could go or she could go to and, and have great business with. But Again, dude, she's a little bit all over the place, and I understand that. She's not in an easy situation to maximize the time she has in combat sports as an athlete, but I do think a little bit more targeted approach and making some clear choices about her future, I think she needs to make them if she really wants to maximize it. Uh, shout out to Ariel. That interview with Eddie Hearn was very well done and, and, uh, and very well researched. And uh, Of course, it, make, it makes Eddie look great. Luke, he is... They're all dirtbag used car salesmen at the end, and they'll they'll take you know their their aim is to take the money out of your pocket, rightfully so. But Eddie Eddie cleans up well. He makes you want to believe in it. I, al you dude, I always you. say this. I always say this. There is really no such thing as an honest promoter. However, there is definitely good dishonest promoters, and there's definitely bad dishonest promoters. You can be a dishonest shitbag and still be very good at your job. So always remember that. Luke, we close quick hitters with this. We're going to play video with sound. Uh, Conor McGregor apparently posted it on social media. I think he took it down since. Um, I'm interested in seeing Luke's reaction. Let's go to the videotape. Here's uh, here's the notorious one. Um, <laughs> Look, I, I mean, knowing he had to have one hand for the phone and one hand for the bar, I, I'm going to assume he wasn't also, you know, masturbating during that clip. But he was very happy, Luke. Um, 
do you look at that as relatable or as uh, concernable? I mean, where are you at with this? So that's where all my Delta 8 gummies went. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> listen, let he who is among us cast the first stone. Have I sat shirtless, full of heat pimples, eating fucking ice cream and laughing to myself about the dumbest shit ever? After maybe or maybe not having Delta 8 gummies or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, but that this is, is, I have been this is there. shirtless Hasselhoff eating the burger levels or the sandwich, whatever he was eating. Like, I this forgot is, about this, that, dude. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. That was so fucking sad and funny. Um, it wasn't as, okay, it wasn't as pathetic as that. That was pathetic. Because remember when he had the burger and then shit was falling out the back end of it? And he was just kind of trying to hold it like soup, you know? <laughs> Oh, Dude, my daughter is literally at my door like a fucking zombie in Train to Busan. I mean, it's unbelievable what she's yeah, doing. Yeah, just, just. I mean, if, you know, the thing is, up, if she comes to... in, Luke, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna start with wonder and interest, and it, then it's gonna go sad, you know. And, and uh, you know, I don't like doing that to her, you know, through the powers of of Zoom, Luke. Um, uh, so Luke, <laughs> it it does, by the way, look like McGregor uh, International Fight Week, even though nothing has really been announced. You just get that feeling. Um, who do you think, Luke? Who do you who do you want? You know, because I, I think Poirier Nate is is going to happen. So yeah, I dude, I really, I'll be, dude. My daughter's literally just knocking. There's like, okay, all right, fuck this. All right, well, who's in control here, Luke? Where where's where's Pepe? Okay, come on. What are you doing, Tuki? What are you doing? Come here. This is great. This is live TV, folks. Yeah. Mega. Come here. Come here. Do I want to see Halloween? No, me more. I'm in the middle of work. What do you want to see? Hey, you want to hey, see Halloween? Hey, Tuki, it's it's uh it's Uncle Gringo here. Um, you want to see my new glasses, Tuki? Tuki, look at his glasses. Watch this, ready? What do you think about that? Oh, she's imitating oh, you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Luke. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now she's on Team VC. This is great. Nice work, yeah. Tuki. Very good. Very good. Luke, do you think that, Do you think she believes in Hermanson striking, Luke? Me more. Do you believe in the striking of Jack Hermanson or no? Say something for the love of God. Okay. Well, apparently, <laughs> uh, we didn't get this on the plane yesterday. Let me assure you, it was not the silent treatment. Isn't it I amazing? She Luke. gets in here, she says nothing, but outside, she's banging on the door like I'm being evicted by the town yeah. sheriff. I'd love to get all of our characters together. Have her and Reggie Jackson hang out for a while, Luke. You know, that'd be great. I love you. Uh, I mean, okay. you can't can be mad at show? her ever, Luke. You know, that's the problem with daughters. You can never be mad at them. Luke. I know. She's always too cute. I just can't do anything about it. So I just have to sit here and tolerate it. All right, Luke. Those were our uh, quick hitters of the week. So uh, we have a new segment for this special return for you of just Getting your reaction to a lot of important stuff in combat sports and beyond during your two-week, felt-like-two-month absence, Luke. We call this new segment, Luke Reacts. All right, let me put her out. All right, Mia Moore, you got to go. You got to go. Come on. It's so new we don't have any illustration or anything. I'm watching along with you, you know? I mean, I'm, you know. You know that you know that song from the Nightmare Before Christmas. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. She loves that song to the point we have to play it fifty thousand times a day. 
Yeah, we live in different realities, Luke, but I respect that, you know? Yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? All right, what am I reacting to? Let's do this. All right, number one, Luke, a lot of people are getting fired up. They want to hear your reactions to the stuff you missed. But number one, the biggest story in sports, Tom Brady retires. And then he, wait, hold on, I didn't retire. But then once he had his own show with Jim Gray, no, I did retire. Uh, there are some reports and rumors that he may sign a one-day deal with the Patriots and retire that way. But as of right now, Luke, that steroid using, no, just kidding. That guy's retired, Luke. Your thoughts? Yeah, thank fucking God. He's been terrorizing all of my favorite teams for all these years. I just find it hilarious that people think he's this good because he's been doing extra reps at practice and eating Greek yogurt as oh, opposed Luke, to fucking Dannon. Are you putting him in the Barry Bonds category? Is this, is this really what you're Well, no, I don't know if he's in the Barry Bonds category because we just don't know, but his number one trainer, Alex Guerrero, to call him sketchy, and by the way, like um related to more than one PED scandal would be understating it to an extraordinary degree. I don't believe in magic. I don't believe in the guys who are just God sent down. I believe in very talented people who work very hard. I also believe in, you know, personally speaking, I don't know what happened. This is just my opinion. I also believe in pharmaceuticals having a pretty big role in sports. So um, we'll see. He actually, you know, uh, he had the best career that I've ever seen. Um, in terms of a football player, he is certainly, I would agree, the best quarterback that you know ever lived by a wide margin, maybe even the best football player. But I am glad that there is turnover in the league because I got sick you know of him like watching him do? win. Like, so Hulk Hogan used to say, Luke, that like when they were injecting steroids in the early 80s and late 70s, like in wrestling, like they didn't even know how to do it. They just, they'd inject right. four days in a row. Like they just no idea about cycles and stuff. I always right. wanted to count down and look back. Okay, like, there's a lot of sports victories, whether it be, you know, team sport or, or combat sports, where you're like, okay, that guy was definitely juicing, though. Great fight, great win, great, you know, great period in that guy's career. But, like, come on, man. That guy was dead. I'd love if we had, like, the, the toxicology reports and the breakdowns of who was the juiciest. Like, which sports highlight of all time was the juiciest? Was it Oh, Bonds? dude, the football. Dude, football is still the juiciest. I mean... You can get caught for steroids and just miss a. Uh, I think you can get like a four game penalty, and then you're basically right back in it. And guys have had like you know like Brian Cushing had multiple PED failures and still had a pretty great career. Like honestly, I don't know how. And I'm being dead serious about this. I don't know how you play American football for in the NFL for a career, let's say the average NFL career for those who make it is three years. Let's say you made it seven, eight years, 10 years even. How do you do that without drugs? I honestly don't know. I don't think a body can handle it. So it's not I mean, like for all the, the players who've used, I don't give a shit that they've well, used. Well, look, everybody's used. I'm wondering who used the most. Like, like oh. what was some of the juicy, like Manny Ramirez, remember he got, what did he get, traded to the Dodgers and he and he hit like Dude, a thousand? who was the like guy, who was the white weeks? guy who played for Chicago who would like shit in a box and send it to uh, his samples to, to labs to get uh, tested? Who was that guy? He was fucking crazy. It wasn't Erlacher, it was somebody else. I forget his name, but um, that dude. Like, had I'd to have be to assume like shit. a guy like Bill Romanowski probably took the most amount. That was him, Romanowski. Romanowski. Oh, oh yeah, job. Romanowski. Cushing was another one. Uh, again, I don't care. Like, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, I mean,. I got questions about Juan Manuel Marquez at welterweight, Luke. I mean, I do, I do. I've yeah, got questions, you know. Exactly. Like, I don't know how he did it either without that, but we'll see. Um, uh, but so yeah, good riddance. All right, uh, Luke reacts. Topic number two: uh, Francis Ngannou <laughs> defended his heavyweight championship, and now 
the 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 toxic level of the relationship with the UFC seems to be through the roof, despite Dana White's uh, huge denials in that regard. Uh, you missed it. He had a really weird Q and A with Lorisenko that it really didn't answer much, Luke. But uh, just your take, your reaction to the fact that it's likely Francis Agano with knee surgery uh, will sit out the rest of his deal and be a free agent in December, unless you know. UFC comes to the table with a Brinks truck and John Jones on the other side. Uh, how do you read where we're actually at right now, Francis versus Dana? How much do you believe that Dana White's absence post-win, so when McManor put the belt on him, how much of that do you buy was just what happened versus you know Dana being like, fuck this? Because he also didn't show up to the press conference and because he also didn't even reference not showing up to the press conference, I think 1,000%, Luke, this is was that. Why did the UFC Twitter account not post anything live during the main event? Why is, you know, I mean, it just, it just was too convenient, Luke. They didn't even have a, even if, even if it was fake, they didn't even have a BS story. He didn't say, oh, yeah, man, uh, look, there was, he said I had a backstage thing, but it wasn't like he even faked, oh, yeah, man, there were people broke in, but we took, we had to take care of it. Like, there was just, it was like the most, the least amount of details possible. And uh, Yeah, I mean, like, here's what I would say. Let's imagine that, like, he was mad. Whatever we think he, you know, the reason why he wasn't there is because he was pissed, right? You just have to imagine this. Like, they got the the fighter lawsuit forced them, or at least, you know, compelled them anyway. Didn't force them because the judge didn't require it. But of their own volition, based on what was happening, the UFC decided to add some sunset clauses into the to contracts in ways that had not been prior there prior to 2017. And... Then you add in the fact that Ngannou was supposed to go up against this guy who was, at, to that point, unstoppable, quite literally, right? He was undefeated prior to this. And you just thought, okay, like they took that risk by, you know, changing the contracts, but they were going to try and sabotage this guy via that, if that's the, the, the version of events you're going with. And then he upsets the whole thing and retains it. And now you could possibly have a case where a UFC champion walks while being champion it's a level of control that the UFC has given up that they've never had to give up. And it just shows you that if Dana White was so enraged by that that he couldn't put the belt on him, that tells you how ruthless of competitors they are. I don't mean below board. I mean above board. What are all the actual levers that we can pull, um, the real ones, to retain control that are not illegal, that are totally within our grasp? They're going to pull Every fucking one of them along the way. I mean, look, true or false, the reputation of the great matchmaking Hall of Famer Joe Silva is that he was he was the ultimate motherfucker. Yes, he was. Dude, did Joe? You ever talk to Joe Silva? No. Yeah, one time he got bitter at something I wrote, and he called me, and that dude read me the riot act for thirty minutes. Just did you hear Chuck's story? Did you hear Chuck's? uh, He filled in for you on one of your episodes off, and he just casually mentions, "Oh yeah, that was the fight card where I was there." But I missed the main event because Joe Silva and Dana pulled me in the back and Joe undressed yes. me about something I he wrote. He told me about that the day it happened, actually. He called me. We talked about it. Like, damn, Luke. Damn. I never I never had that. By the way, there's other details to that story he hasn't told you about what else they told him, which was fucking hilarious. But, um, yeah, dude, they're ruthless. They're ruthless competitors. And, you know, uh, that's why they're successful to a degree, right? That's why they are the, the 800-pound gorilla in the industry. But, you know... I think a guy like Francis at 35 is looking at the old Jeremy Stevens of the world, and certainly we all have respect for him as a competitor, but I think doesn't want to end up on that situation if, as a championship-level fighter if he can avoid it. But if you take the path that Francis has taken 
dude, it will not be easy. It will be difficult. Luke, potentially related to this topic at 11.30 a.m. Eastern while we were recording, John Jones tweeted, the greatest heavyweight of all time versus the greatest light heavyweight. Who wants to see it on game? There's dude. also a, a report out there. I'm not sure the outlet, but uh, that Jones is willing to fight Stipe Miocic at UFC 196, but yeah. wants the heavyweight title. Dude, he's been uh, teasing say, a fight no, 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 with Stipe Miocic. Would you yeah. say him versus Stipe has to have an interim title on it? Then? Well, first of all, I don't believe anything John Jones tweets. Period. Matter of factly, number one. But let's assume that like there is something there beyond that. Uh, would they? Would I want to see an interim belt put on it? No. For what? There's no need. I mean, they might. To your point, to make they the will. whole thing better, but they will, dude. They, they probably will. will. They probably will. But you would agree, from a necessity standpoint, it's utterly unnecessary. God, from a the, necessity the, standpoint. The last one was the most unnecessary ever. It was like, oh, you can't fight in three months. All right, interim title belt. Here we go. You know, it was like it was like how they threw Nico Montano out the back door. They're like, ah, right, nobody cares anyway. Whatever, right? We'll take the belt from her. It's cool. Right, yeah, right, right. Dude, even they gave much more respect to other champions, Luke, who had issues with weight. Just so you know. There. Uh, all right, Luke. By the way, if that's the if that's the next step and it's for an interim title, that's a big-ass fight, John versus Stipe. I love that, Luke. And, it, and it's UFC's insurance of, okay, go ahead, Francis, go away. This is now our new champion, and he's going to fight Cyril Gaon next. And that's still good business, Luke. All right? That's, that's true. That's still something to build around for the future. It so, is. So they're, they're fully ready to say fuck off, Francis. And that's, that's where we're at, Luke. Uh, Luke, this is the big one. Number three on Luke Reacts. Your Washington football team has officially hmm. announced their new name. Would you share that new name with the people, Luke, and share for us your best reenaction of your instant reaction upon seeing uh, The Washington Commanders are the new team. The hashtag is Take Command, which makes me want to um, get shot in the face with communicable diseases that I could kill me uh, as quickly as possible. Um I would say that, like, okay, we avoided worst-case scenario, right? Worst-case scenario for me was, like, Armada, President, something utterly fucking stupid. Commanders sucks. It sounds like an XFL team or, like, you know, you know, the, whatever the fuck. But uh, it's not worst-case scenario. I did like the new uniforms, especially the black one that had the, like, burgundy and gold trim, although that's the color patterns have changed a little bit. They added the DC flag to it. And then the thing that heartened me was... Yesterday, uh, the city mayor, Mayor Bowser, said that they welcome the new name change and they really believe that the team should stay in D.C. Because if you haven't paid attention, there was a, a, a gubernatorial election in Virginia. Republican Glenn Youngkin won and has been very heavy about getting the team to go to either Loudoun or Prince William counties. Which, dude, if they go to Loudoun County, I don't know how to explain this. It's like, I will, when I say I will never go to a game, I will never go to a game they want to put the stadium in some ways closer to ashburn mayor bowser in dc doesn't want to help the team pay for it i'm guessing glenn youngkin probably will help the team pay for it which is bullshit because that means taxpayers have to pay for it probably 500 million or more so what i'll say is we didn't get to worst case scenario but then the yesterday more allegations that's what they are from former people who worked at the organization against Dan Snyder related to sexual harassment. Oh, and dude, they're brutal. They're, the details are brutal. Fucking super brutal. I hate, hate Dan Snyder, and I hate that organization. 
I just can't quit the team, even though I now root for an XFL team that plays in the NFL. The Washington Commanders. Yeah. Yes, I, yes. I command you to change the fucking name to something that doesn't lick balls, but here we are. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than uh, sounding like... Armada. 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 Uh, Power Rangers or something. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Luke, number four on Luke Reacts. Hey, March 5th, UFC 272. It's Jorge Masvidal versus Colby Covington in a pay-per-view main event. Are you siced? Uh, it's getting a little corny already in terms of the back and forth, but uh, yes. how are you feeling about this? Uh, the buildup will be unbearable but successful. Um, the fight, I think, will probably end up being one-sided for Covington, but one doesn't exactly know. However, it's the fight that had to get made for both of them. It's going to be a fight that I think is going to do well despite no title being on the line. And, dude, Colby Covington, again, we'll see. Maybe Masvidal can can uh, resurrect things here a little bit. He has certainly been using the hashtag, uh, you know, not in short supply, the resurrection and all that. Um, but, but you know, it's an interesting fight. It's a tough fight. I think Colby's going to really assert himself in the division again. And, you know, these guys have built this up to the point where they're going to be able to monetize their falling out as friends. So, I guess, BC, here's what we should do. When we fall out, we should get paid falling out. You know what I'm saying? Like these guys, why blow up a friendship if you're not going to get paid for it? At least get some cash. So when we blow this whole thing up, we got to find an angle that we can make money from it. I've already tried to go head to head with your live chat, Luke. Okay. I'm not afraid. I'm really not afraid. I'm not. Luke, the fact that I'm not afraid of ending our friendship on a daily basis is what makes this show so good and what will end it so prematurely. Your finger is always on the nuclear trigger. And for those reasons... We always have mutually assured destruction. Uh, Luke, is true or false? Is Jorge Masvidal's pay-per-view value finished if he loses in a one-sided wrestling match? Finished? Yes. Or could um, you still see him against Connor one day and, and you know, we'll, we'll care again? Finished is a strong word, but as a... Um, headliner, yeah, it probably is. Like, could I see him in an interesting fight as a co-main or something like that? Yeah, I, I mean, people still will care. He is still a good fighter. Like, there will still be moments for him. But um, if he gets, you know, molly by Colby, I think as a headliner, that might be some problems for him. Do you think he stay? I mean, are you thinking, does he have one or two big fights left and that's it? Or do you see him as a guy, if he loses this one, that's willing to go back down, you know, Home up the ladder, fight the number. Dude, he was in the guy. trenches so long. I don't think he wants any part of like, I'm going to fucking get on the treadmill again and, you know, fight my way from ranked fighters eight to fucking seven. No, I don't think he does that at all. He's got, I mean, here's the thing like, dude, Nate Diaz would not have taken the Colby fight, right? It's a horrible matchup for him, right? He wouldn't do it. Jorge took it, but as a consequence, well, I think Jorge's going to get paid like a motherfucker for it, which is great. He's taking a risk where he could not only lose, but he could lose in a way that is just sort of like thoroughly, you know, demoralizing or something. Nate, Nate didn't do that. Nate did that when it's like it's like when Nate took the RDA fight. Uh, that was very different. They didn't have the same, you know, animus or whatever. But it was a fight where he was just not going to lose. He was going to look bad losing. Jorge's risking a lot. Yeah, dude, you have to admire. Like Jorge is putting a lot at risk, even though he is going to make a lot of money, which is great. It's not an easy fight, and it's a fight that not, is not only hard to win. It's a fight where if you lose, it could be a loss that it just sort of has a very defining characteristic about it. 
Luke reacts number five. Uh, May 7th is the target date, and that's Cinco de Mayo weekend, Kentucky Derby, uh, big-time playoffs in NBA and NHL, usually Yankees, Red Sox, something like that, and Canelo's return is what we're expecting uh, in Las Vegas. Who knows? Maybe Charlo, maybe a different fight. We'll see. But that night, Luke, UFC 274 giving us the lightweight championship of Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. The target was Brazil. As of now, they can't do it. We'll see what happens as that gets closer. Uh, no no projected date, as, or, or, I mean, uh, location as of this point. Luke, your reaction to this, you know, uh, box of sex that they're going to open up there. Impo- that the top five of that division, it's just impossible to go wrong. Just impossible. And the, what you love about Charles Oliveira is everything he's achieved and how far he's come. But the things he's done to get there, the improvements and how slick and smart and dialed in and everything else he is, which you could say for Justin Gaethje, Justin Gaethje 2.0 and everything. And he's a fucking hammer. And there's just ways you could see Justin Gaethje getting submitted quickly, maybe even punched around a little bit. But at the same time, who would be surprised if Justin Gaethje goes in there and just knocks his fucking block off on on, on route to getting it? It's just, it's just perfect. It's 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 a it's a it's a fight between deserving guys in terms of the upper limit of that division. It's a fight that is all. I mean. It's impossible to imagine it being boring unless someone just gets poked in the eye in the first five seconds or something. It's it's almost perfect. I love I love it so much. I can't wait. Uh, Luke, I'll throw in a bonus one here. You've probably seen while you were gone the boxing purse bid record for the upcoming Tyson Fury mandatory WBC title defense against Dillian White, which will be a big-time pay-per-view. I forgot the date offhand, but they want to do it in the U.K., big stadium. I mean, it's a big deal. $41 million by... Uh, by hmm. Frank Warren and company to edge out Eddie Hearn. But Luke, Eddie Hearn in the interview with Ariel said at the M- on the MMA hour something interesting that they were. they he Eddie Hearn somehow convinced Anthony Joshua on the financial upside of stepping aside. They had uh, Dillian White ready to step aside. And it was Tyson Fury who said no in the final seconds to Alexander Usyk. Now Fury has, you know, he got out first with his social media attack and made it look like they were the stupid ones who missed out on the financial boat. Um, yeah, Dillian White's going to be an easier fight to some degree than Alexander Usyk, no question. I still think this is a great fight. How pumped are you for the idea of Fury Dillian White? Not very. Uh, I don't really give a shit to be candid with you. Um, I respect Dillian White. Uh, I think it'll be a fun fight for as long as it lasts. I do mean that. I really, I, honest to God, do. Um, but. I don't see him, unless Tyson Fury has really just kind of phoned it in in the worst way, I really don't see how White beats him, to be honest with you. I know it's big for British boxing, and that's great. The, I, we've said it before, dude, the British boxing fans might be the best bo- fucking combat sports fans on earth. They're they're unbelievable, and God bless them for it. Uh, it'll be huge. I'm going to watch. I'm interested to see how Tyson Fury looks, but... Again, White can win. This is not like, oh, Luke says White will never win. I don't mean it that way. What I just mean to say is he can win, but only, 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 only well, then let me, if Fury let me is ask, just absolutely shit in the bed. Let me ask you this adjoined question. Did Fury's ability in that insane third fight with Wilder to take big shots and get back up and just shake it off, was that a, was that a sort of final nail in the coffin that, like, He's not going to, like, he may get outboxed one day by Usyk, who knows, but he's not going to get handled by someone. No one's going to come yeah. in and just knock him it's out. Just, it's just hard to see. If, dude, if, if Deontay Wilder, after how many rounds, nearly 30 rounds almost, right, something like that, if he couldn't finally close it 
with his power punching, you just have a hard time seeing how Dillian White is going to do it. Granted, White is a much better pure boxer than than uh, Deontay Wilder by considerable margin. But what I mean to say is, you know, Wilder had his moments where he laid clean punches on Fury, sometimes knocking him down. But even that wasn't enough. It's like, dude, what is what is he going? He's going to outpoint Tyson Fury. Klitschko couldn't outpoint Tyson Fury. So how's that going to happen? Adovalin couldn't outpoint. You just what is the path? where he's going to get it unless Tyson Fury has been diminished, which I don't necessarily expect. So, you know, it'll be fun, but it's not like there's just not a lot of mystery there. I guess I get is the point it. I'm trying I to get make. it. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. In the, the whole idea of, you know, did Fury say no to Usyk out of fear or whatever? Well, maybe it was strategically. Maybe he thought fighting him right now in this difficult of a test isn't going to be worth the same amount of money that, he could lose in a potential if AJ beats Usyk in the rematch, and then AJ versus Fury is just a monster fight for all four belts. So that's right. Maybe it was a little more strategic based on the to me. To me, BC. To me, it's like, do I think Tyson Fury would beat Anthony Joshua? I do, but I genuinely recognize that that's a much more competitive fight. At least it seems anyway. And there's mystery there. There's intrigue there. There's something kind of kind of cool. Certainly, you would agree. There's a lot of mystery and intrigue, and like, wow, wow, how would a fight with Fury and Usyk go? Like those to me. The, you know, I might like Fury to win both of them, but that's a, those are those are weird, cool, fun, interesting fights. Yeah. The white ones, I respect it. It's important. It should happen. He might win, but pretty unlikely. All right, uh, Luke, I got a bonus. Luke Thomas reacts to end the show, and that's your reaction to documentary or donkeymentary number six uh, by Morning Combat by Jake Roseman, our fantastic uh, documentarian by the great team of Malka and Showtime there. Uh, I know how much you liked it. I know how much you gave to the process where in the past you're like, fuck y'all. Um, what, what's your reaction to the reaction of Doc Six kind of hitting the hearts of uh, people who maybe didn't realize you had a soul? I know, it's so weird that people think they know me when they've never met me. It's like, oh, well, we watch your videos. Well, yeah, but that's not it's just a very small portion of my life. Like I'm a, you know, I, there's a whole life outside of that. You don't, you think, you know, someone, you got to meet people, you got to interact with them. You got to see them a little bit. And so I certainly uh, appreciate that maybe to a degree, Jake has humanized me. Um, and you know, showed your, by the way, BC got killed for his nails. I texted BC. I was like, BC, my toenails are worse than yours. I just live with unbearable shame. And so I don't show them, but I want to say, Jen, I mean, are you a real man if you're all like cleaned up down there? Come on, you know. You know, it's for we we grew up where in an era where you know with stupid machismo where guys would never do something like that, and now they do. So I can't say for sure what's cool. We I mean, we don't, we know don't what's hold cool, it but... against the English for having bad teeth, right, Luke? Maybe they can, you know, <laughs> let uh, let us Armenian Lithuanians uh, off the hook with uh, dude. We we've we've our walked fungus encrusted toenails. We've walked a tough road to get here, and those were our scars, okay, Luke? Yes, that, our... that is certainly true. What I would say, though, in all seriousness was I thought it was a fucking masterpiece. I mean, it was – it's my either favorite or second favorite of all of them, and I showed it to my wife, and she thought it was touching. She loved it. You know, um, it was great, dude. They did a great job. I will say Molka was a little self-serving with it <laughs> because <laughs> – like, here's the thing. We were like, oh, let's do a documentary about going to Vegas and winning the award. And Michael was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But also about the studio. Let's make this about the studio. I'm like, I don't know why it's about the studio. It's about the award. But okay. They shoehorned in the studio angle. At the same time, that also worked because they did such a good job with it. Dude, you know who was surprisingly like the semi-hero of the whole thing? Ashley. 
I thought Ashley was fucking hilarious in this doc. Yeah. Where you're like, it's a shithole, but it's our shithole. And she's like, it's my office, man. What the <laughs> fuck? Mark, the camera guy, had some big moments there. Gaff continued to come out of the dark and be a, a playable character in this universe. Uh, I know. I loved, I loved Gaff's fucking... Uh, they're like, Gaff, what do you think of the new studio? He's like, uh, hopefully there's no dicks. I really just don't want to see any more dicks in this play, fucking place. Oh, uh, yeah. Jay Aaron even making a quick uh, moment. So, Luke... Um, it's interesting because I thought I think there's some of our docs and look this is this is meta here but come on you know if I can't if I can't reach around you know come on um sometimes you know BC's been the MVP of a doc sometimes Jake's editing has been the MVP of a doc Luke I think you were the MVP of doc 6 I mean you no, I don't you think showed so. up and you and you delivered dude I, I, well, I did better this one I it, you know shocker when you try things look better than they, when you don't try but I would say that honestly what like what made it was Roseman, he understands us. Like, he understands what makes you tick. He understands what makes me tick. But he's he also not afraid MK. to make you look embarrassingly bad just for the sake of art, though. Luke, you know? But that's the whole thing. Like, when he went to the cab driver, and he was like, oh, you're from Northern Virginia near D.C.? And the cab driver was like, yeah. He goes, you ever heard of Luke Thomas? He's like, no. And he, like, why would we include that? Because it's important to include that. It's important that, like, that's... Dude, we don't, we cannot... You gotta, you gotta live with those funny L's in life. You have to live with that kind of relationship with people, and like they should be able to say things like that to us. And I like that. I love that they can always take us down a peg. It's, it keeps us humble. It keeps us motivated, and um, and it's fucking hilarious. I laughed when I saw that. I thought it was legitimately funny. So all right, do you now a have a handle job. on all six docs? Because you'd always say, "Oh, I think Doc One's the best." It's like, dude, Doc One's good, but it's not like no, no one's out here claiming that's the best. That just means you haven't watched them. Do, are you prepared to give an official six episodes in? This is I like, am. you know, this is like putting the Phantom Menace, you know, at number six. And uh, I mean, like, are you ready to give a ranking of these six documentaries? I am. So I'm going to, you ready? I'm going to give you the list. You're going to start with the best or the worst? Start with the top to bottom. Good, okay. good to bad. Okay. Uh, I'm not asking you to agree. I can only tell you what they meant to me, right? I'm going to go number six as my number one. I just thought it was so fucking good. I showed it to my wife again. I sent it to some of my my relatives in Colombia or my in-laws anyway, and even they thought it was just amazing. So I'm going to go number six. I really thought that was good. Second for me is going to be number one. I really thought that number one was different and unique. I know you disagree. That's fine. But for me, that's where it stands. My number three is going to be number five. Number five was a tough moment for us. Cleveland. But it... Showed us taking, you know, getting look, dude. Life is gonna slap you around at times, and uh, and give you a little bit of a wake up call when you need it. I thought Doc Five brought some of that energy, and again, you sweating like a whore in church, me sweating like a whore in church. You know, it was it was it was there. I'll go, I'll go number. See, this is where I this is where it's hard for me. I really struggle with this one. I'm gonna go. Uh, number four. Number four is going to be my my next one down. I uh, the Miami show I thought was really good. Um, not my favorite doc, but it definitely had its moments. It ca it captured the authenticity of what we were trying to do at the time, and that was cool. Shaw, after that, Shaw it's, played a big role. Okay, he was Shaw played guy. a big role. Yeah. I'll go number two after that. I did like number two a little bit. There are some. It's a lot of bullshit, to be honest with you. Uh, 
And number three should just be what you're trying to say, Luke. Okay. Number three should just be deleted off the internet. It's the <laughs> no, stupidest dude. fucking video One that day, ever Luke, got made. Number every every great band that has slid in and out of genres. You know, you may be a rock band, but you you had the country album, or you had that, you know, whatever. You two's got a couple of weird turns. You know, the 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 number three doc is gonna be that weird one at first, where you're like, man, what the hell is this? But then. In the long run, it'll age like wine, and people go, well, that's actually the brilliant one, because they had nothing. They had no material. They said, all we got is a shopping cart in B.C., and, you know, we, we, we held it together. Look, my rankings couldn't be kind of more different than yours. Um, the best right, doc let, we've let ever done, Luke, and I am happy, by the way, that a lot of fans say that this one's the best, and it's so feel-good, and it's it is a different Th- this one. This one is the most. This one is definitely the most feel-good of all of them, right? And we've had a few. Jake's done a good job at, at you know providing that happy ending. Thank you, Mr. Kraft. Um, all right. So, Luke, uh, the best one we've ever done is number five in Cleveland. That was the raw and the real, the highs and lows. We showed the downside, Luke, okay? All right, we had the Indians keg party. We had a lot of fun stuff going on in there. But Ariel trying to take over, that was, that was some real life going on in there. Uh, the second best doc we ever did is number two, Luke. And it's probably the doc that you – you tried or showed up in the lease, so BC uh, had a Jordan flu game, okay, and you know, and talked about art. And it was, you know, I mean, look, it's a, it's a tour de force, okay. It's the, uh, the third best one is six, the most recent one. I mean, it's incredible, and it, and it shows the evolution of Jake's art as well, and his uh, confidence in, in putting it out there. Um, you know, then then you go Miami, Luke. Then you go the first one. First one's pretty good. It establishes you and I hating each other, but we're together first of the for the paycheck and then luke you know number three it is the worst but um it's also a little a little unique a little spicy uh, a little interesting no that sucked all right we just jerked off for 10 minutes but uh thank you to everybody for i mean luke you know for all i want to say about the doc they don't tend to move much product luke. you know that must that means they're really good to tell you the truth you know the is that what that means or that they are they're really bad and no one gives a shit anymore you know, the masses can't handle because they don't know what they're watching. They're like, is this real? Is this like, are these people really this weird? Like, I don't, I don't get it, you know? But all right. Thank you very much. Uh, Luke, that's our show today on this Friday. Uh, fans, enjoy. Enjoy, please, the fights this weekend and uh, get prepared if you can follow, the, if you can like this show and, and follow what we're doing here on YouTube. And, and if you're listening audio only, uh, please give us a, a, a review that you feel we earn there on Spotify, on Apple uh, Podcasts, and all that. But uh, Saturday night, we also dabble in the post-fight instant reaction domination. Uh, Luke Thomas following Hermanson Strickland. Uh, myself, I believe, Luke, following Thurman Berrios. We could pull this off. If you want to do it, let's do it. I, I, I think we should hit the ground running. I'm back. I'm refreshed. I'm excited. Let's let's give the fans what yeah. they want. Yeah, you're like you're like you know September in the dorms. You're like I'm back. I'm ready to bang, bro. Let's let's do this. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, folks, uh, to our many employers as well. Showtime.com. You can get your 30 days free right now by going to that website. Uh, you're going to need it, right? Big time Bellator Championship Boxing. Uh, Ray Donovan movie, Luke. I haven't gone that far yet. I'm still in season one of Billions, and it's great, Luke, but it's taken me a while. Okay? Uh, I, I've, I need to catch up as well. I've been. I've been, uh, I've been yeah, you can pound sand. Uh, yeah. Also, Luke, we got a, uh, we got a merch house, and we're hearing that uh, we've got a. Uh, what is Sally saying to us, Luke? I don't know. I'm not reading it. Sally, do you have a, 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 a something to throw to here? Uh, 
Oh, please share. Let's, oh, let's share see the calendar. Yes. February fight calendar. And as you can see there, Luke, uh, February 5th, UFC fight night. We're bringing it post UFC 271 the following week. It's Adesanya Whitaker Tooch. Check out my Whitaker interview. It's out there on YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. On the 18th, Showbox, Luke, Orlando, Ortiz versus Albright with BC on the microphone. Don't miss it, baby. And it closes the 26th. Oh, Chris Colbert, I'm going to be chatting with him today, is going to be in there, Luke. Uh, he's coming in the 130-pound division against Gutierrez. So uh, fun stuff going on in Showtime land. Bellator right around the corner as well. So uh, follow it along with us. All right, that's what we do here. Uh, MorningCombat.store is your merch home. And uh, here's your last chance. 15% off all hoodies, drug rugs, using our merch code. That's hoodie 15 H-O-O-D-I-E, 1515, uh, morningcombat.store. We got great new stuff. If you haven't been there in a while, it's it, it's game-changing stuff from R.J. Uh, uh, Denkel Nugget there. Uh, very nice guy. Very, one of our better employees, would you say, Luke? Yes. I, I'm I mean, you know, Did I'm he deserve that Dr. Nasser joke that time? Probably not. Probably, probably not. But, uh, you know, you, you, you can only have regrets in life. You know, that, that that means I lived, I swung. That means I went. Yes. That my toes told and, a story. And I have plenty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luke, great to have you back, though. Great. Thanks, man. It's great to be back. Excited. Join us tomorrow night. I will be right back here for some post-fight reaction. Should be a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you, folks. We love you. Take care of this, okay? It's tough, the winter, but spring's coming. We're, we're behind you all the way. Uh, like Luke Thomas would often say, uh, may all your ex-lovers uh, stay satisfied. Be be excellent to each other and uh, and party on, dudes. We out.